In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God said, let there be light. Everything we see today is worse than the predictions. The future is going to be extremes beyond our imagination. This is an urgent situation that compels immediate action. Climate change risks everything. Millions in California are dealing with the dangers of extreme heat and rapidly spreading wildfires. 103 degrees. And we've been trying to warn you guys for so many decades. Malnutrition will rise. Disease will spread. Half of humanity is living in the danger zone now. We're gonna lose everything. Children's voices are not heard. Adults feel they have a monopoly of knowledge. This problem brings each of us together like nothing before. The polluter must know there is a victim. We all have a role to play. If we don't protect nature, we can't protect ourselves. It's a bit ironic now that you might have Floridians having to actually pour over the borders um, and go north uh, and get out of the state of Florida in the exact same crisis that we've been talking about on a trolling level in that state for a long time. Florida Governor DeSantis has made more headlines for cruelty than governing lately in a state where the property insurance market has almost collapsed as insurance companies have folded or leave the state completely. Climate change making storms bigger and more costly, while Florida's Republican legislators mostly ignore the threat completely. This is the quote from Governor DeSantis yeah. about climate change. Quote, I am not in the pews of the church of the global warming leftists. This is what he thinks about climate change. And now his state is getting hit with one of the worst hurricanes well, that perhaps, they will ever perhaps. see. Isn't it socialism when the, the government helps you? Uh, and, uh, <laughs> so they say, like Social Security and Medicare yeah, and Medicaid and, the, and things the like that. Yeah, got to come. And, yeah. and the police and, I mean, socialism. What effect does climate change have on this phenomenon? Jane? I don't think you can link climate change to any one event. Okay. On the whole, on the cumulative, uh, climate change uh, may be making storms worse, uh, but uh, to link it to any one event, um, I, I would caution against that. Okay, well, they, uh, listen, I grew up there, and these storms are intensifying. Something is causing them to intensify. This is all wrong. I shouldn't be up here. I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean. Yet, you all come to us young people for hope. How dare you? You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. And yet, I'm one of the lucky ones. People are suffering. People are dying. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction, and all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. 
How dare you? I got, yeah, I got a few, Bob, yeah. Okay, you support Trump? You yep. Okay. I was one of the first endorsers, public okay. endorsers of, of President Trump. What are you Trump. guys going to do when our ocean level rises? Thank you for asking that no, question. No, I have the answer, though. No, let me finish. I have the answer. Let me finish. Well, well, uh, thank right you for the question. Yeah. Now, okay. For the first time on earth, we're changing the gas. Now you're full of shit. Sit down. I'm going to answer you. I'm going to answer you. Shut up and shut up and sit down. No way. Sit down. No. No. I got to finish my question. Uh, I'm going to answer global warming. I finished the question. Then answer. Is changing on Earth, and it's changing to CO2. What do you people with the money? What are you doing about this? Because I'm going to tell you right now. No, I've got children. I've got 21, 23 year old children. And what's their future with you people with money? You, you, you talk about money all of the time. Okay, okay. Sit down, okay. please. Sit down, please. What In the front row. Excuse me. Earth. In the front row. Please about sit down. Earth. Okay, you've asked your question. Thank you very much. Okay, I'm going I'm to answer. Excuse me, ma'am. Please, please sit down. And, please. Thank you. That's okay. Please sit down. Let him answer. Okay. In 2011, my wife and I were in Antarctica renewing our vows. For most of you that don't know, Antarctica is on a mountaintop, okay? And uh, there is a $500 million fa- uh, facility, uh, scientific facility there, and, and the scientists came to give us presentations about global warming. And they had cores of ice that they had drilled. They had drilled four or 5,000 cores, and they only brought 15 or 20. So they're going through the second or third core, and they said... Uh, 275,000 years ago, this was the temperature, blah, 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 blah. And then 55,000 years ago, the world was two degrees warmer Celsius than it is today. This is 2011. And, oh, stop, stop, stop. And he said, and I said, well, you mean the whole world? He says, yes. And the poles are only benchmarks. And I said, well, what about the things that the, the young woman alluded to. Okay? And he said, it's all cyclical. And although the gas may have exacerbated it, in the cosmos of time, it's not a fart in the wind. In the cosmos of time, of the 13.8 billion years that we've been on this miserable planet, it's not a fart in the wind. And as I told Joe Rogan on his show, and he said in his infinite wisdom... And uh, Joe, if you hear this, I thank you for the opportunity to be on your show. He said, then in 25,000 years, it's most likely not going to be a problem. Now, my direct answer to your question, if that were really true, would you believe? And let's just for a moment say that it is true. That means that the best scenario vis-a-vis global warming is about 10 feet raising water. That's the best scenario over the next 40, 50 years. That's the best scenario. The worst scenario is about 100 feet. But let's just take the 10 feet. If the water on the planet is going to rise up 10 feet, that means the southern part of the United States is gone. England is gone. Most of Europe is gone. And I can go, uh, most of Central America is gone. Okay. If that's the case, let's just take Florida, for example, which is one of the fastest growing condominium, beachfront condominiums on the planet. In the prospectus, when you invest, there should be, in the footnotes, 
if global warming is for real, they won't put it that way, global warming happens and water rises 10 feet, this investment you made is fuck all. Not one single investment prospectus written since 2000, this century, has alluded to global warming. Not one motherfucker. If it were really true, the banks wouldn't invest. The banks wouldn't finance. Not one motherfucking condominium. So the people that have the money, and I'm, I'm jealous of the Vice President Gore, which Sally and I rode on a plane from South America with a few years ago. I am jealous he came up with a scam before I did. Because the financial institutions, the banks of this world, know it's not going to happen. Otherwise, you couldn't get a goddamn loan in London. You know those 30, 40-year mortgages? The world will be over by then. Is Barclays Bank going to give you a motherfucking loan? With the greatest respect, ma'am, it's the greatest fraud that's been perpetrated on mankind this century. It's a really very tricky topic. It's a very delicate topic because people often hear what they want to hear when we talk about these things. So I'm a degreed geologist. I've been studying climate and geology as well as magnetic fields of the Earth since the 1970s, when I first realized we were keeping records of, of these kind of the Earth's magnetic fields, for example. And as, as a geologist, I've had the opportunity and I have the skills to look into the past and see if Earth is broken. Are we broken right now? Is this truly an anomalous time? Nature works in vast cycles and expanses of time. Nature doesn't work like in a five-year cycle necessarily or a 10-year cycle. So what I have been able to see and what I share in the programs is that if you look at the ice cores from Antarctica and Greenland, each year there's a new layer of ice that is deposited that contains atmospheric information, dust particles from volcanoes, a little air bubbles that it captures in the ice that have the carbon dioxide for that particular year in that air bubble. So we can go back into those ice cores and we can reconstruct climate. And the, the ice cores in Antarctica, the deepest core now goes back over 420,000 years before present. Humans, anatomically modern humans, showed up on the Earth and scientists agree to this, this timeline 200,000 years ago. So that means there was uh, 220, 240,000 years before humans ever showed up. We have these records for, and if you look at the cycles, they're the same cycles. Climate is cyclic, and I've been saying this now for over 40 years, asking us to prepare for the climate change rather than trying to think that we can somehow prevent the climate change. So where are we right now? We are precisely where I would expect we should be. There is a warming on the planet, it is uh, a relatively small warming compared to what we have seen in the past. If you look at the cores from the past, the warmings are intense, they're brief, and after the warming, it's what comes after that is usually the bigger problem, is the cooling cycle. There's evidence now that we are moving into to a cooling cycle. It doesn't mean an ice age, it doesn't mean like Hollywood, you know, everything's gonna freeze over. But even a little shift in climate globally changes the weather locally. It changes when it rains, when it snows, 
when you plant the crops, when you can harvest the crops. In the northern hemisphere, where most of the food of the world is grown, this, this is significant. Uh, you know, just a small a half a degree Celsius can, can change all kinds of things, surface temperature as well as uh, ocean temperatures. So the bottom line for me is climate change is a fact, and uh, I don't see how anyone could possibly deny that. Humans did not cause it. Humans are contributing by kicking the carbon dioxide into the air, but this is where it gets really interesting. There was a, uh, a scientific study, it's called the Inconvenient Study, that is not being shared in the mainstream. Uh, a scientist named Rockström, I think who's in Sweden, it was, they published this in a very prestigious peer-reviewed journal called Nature, where they talk about Earth's safe zone. So Earth has what is called a safe zone, and these are the parameters that must be held in place for us to maintain life as, as we know it. There are eight parameters as a circle with, uh, with wedges for each of, of the different parameters. Climate is only one of those eight parameters, and climate is probably one of the least to worry about right now. Three of the other parameters, we've already, we're already off the charts on three of the other parameters. One of those is biodiversity. We're losing life faster than we can even catalog it, primarily in the oceans. That's important because that's where the food chain begins with the microscopic life all the way up to you know, the, the larger forms of life. There are other cycles that are not so sexy to talk about, the phosphorus cycle, the nitrogen cycle. These are off the charts as well. So to say that climate is the only problem and the only thing to worry about, I think is, it's not correct. And to think that we can stop it and reverse the climate, I think is disingenuous for any politician or any scientist to say that, first of all, why would you want to go back when we're part of, a, of, of a, a natural rhythm that is largely driven by Earth's location in space, the tilt, the angle, and the wobble uh, of Earth in space determines our relationship to the sun. And there's more to it than that, but that is largely what's driving these cycles. So if you look at the ice cores, multiple cores from Antarctica and Greenland, they all correlate with one another. And they all show us in the past, we've had temperatures much warmer, and afterward, we go into the cooling cycle. The carbon dioxide that we're adding may be enhancing, it may be accelerating, it is not causing what it is is happening. And this is where it gets dangerous because there are people that want to hear that. And they say, okay, so we can keep doing everything we're doing now because it's a natural cycle. And I'm not saying that at all. We definitely need to go clean, green, stop burning, stop burning the fossil fuels. We have so many other alternatives. I'll say something very controversial. As a geologist, not many people want to hear what I'm going to say. Oil is such a precious resource. And we, as technologically advanced as we are, we have no way of chemically reproducing oil right now. So when it's gone, it's gone, whenever that happens. We use oil in so many other ways that cannot be replaced if there is no oil. I have a list of over 3,000 applications in our daily lives. And people, you know, when you, you think about not burning oil for a day, and, and what most people think is, that's okay, I can ride a bike or walk to, to work. And I say, that's true. I say, where does the rubber come from for the tires on, on the bike that you're going to ride? And it just goes on and on. The clothes that we wear, the fabrics, the way the fabrics are made, the way f produce is, is taken to market. So. I think it's such a precious resource, we need to continue to produce it and preserve it, but stop burning it. And this way of thinking is less threatening to the oil industry because we're not trying to make them obsolete. We're saying you are creating a precious resource, but when you stop burning it, that is the impetus for the technology 
to come in to find uh, other sources for fuel for transportation. A big part of the problem is the politicians, and we also hear that there's a consensus among scientists, and that, that's not true. There is a data set that has been supplied to scientists that is based on false assumptions of computer modeling. That data set is what scientists are saying. If the data is correct, then we agree with it, but the data is, is incorrect. So it's a, it's a trick, because if you give someone the false information, but they don't know it's false, and it supports a, a, a perspective, then everyone's going to say, yeah, I support that. There's a growing number of mainstream scientists, climate scientists and geologists, climatologists, meteorologists, that are not on board with, with the story, but they don't, have, um, they don't have a platform. It's based on computer models. They take information, feed it into a model, and the model is supposed to predict what's happening with the climate. These models are so flawed that we can take data from years that have already passed, plug in the data for what has already happened, and the model still can't even tell us what actually happened. That, that's how, how wrong this, you know, usually if the event has already occurred, and you put, take that data, you put it in the model, if it's a good model, it will show you what just occurred. The models don't, don't even do that. So it's very complex. Uh, there are some very disingenuous efforts going on to manipulate the data to tell a story. Um, but the bottom line for me is, as we learn to think differently about ourselves and our relationship to the earth, uh, we begin to live differently. We begin to have deeper respect for our relationship to the earth. Uh, for the food and the way we grow our food, for what, what that food means to us in terms of food security and, and things like that. I mean, these are big, these are global issues, but they also become local issues very, very quickly. So we could stop burning fossil fuels today. It's not going to stop climate change. And let me tell you how far this is going. There are scientists that are so frightened now by the false data, they're going to extremes to try to stop the climate change. So some of them have said, because it's based on Earth's location in space, tilt, angle, wobble, maybe we need to change the tilt, the angle, and the wobble to stop the climate change. I think there are certain things we should not be messing with, and Earth's location in space is one of those. Uh, also, the idea of putting uh, metallic particles into the atmosphere to reflect, to reflect the sunlight, um, the, the consequences of the, the byproducts of those in our food supply, in our food chain, in our, our water. I don't know how well that's been thought through, but it's causing problems. And, and those are extremes to remedy a problem based on false information. So here's the thing, We're, we've been taught to resist the change. If it changes, if it's not summer in August the way it was 15 years ago, we think something is wrong. If we acknowledge, if we say, okay, this generation, we're living a, a time of climate change, and if we adapt to this change, we're going to get through it a little bit better. So, for example, bury our power grid under the earth in the United States, for example. Northeastern United States, they're having bad storms in the, in the winter. They freeze. You get ice. Break the power lines. The power lines snap. And people are without power for weeks and weeks. You bury those power lines. First of all, you've got jobs for a lot of people burying those power lines. Secondly, you stop, you stop using the trees to create the power poles that break every time there's the big storm. And third, when that storm comes in, yeah, it's a tough storm, but nobody, hospitals don't lose power, schools don't lose power, and people, you know, learn to adapt. But what we're trying to do is say, we're gonna live the way we've always lived, even though the conditions of the world have changed, it makes no sense, and that's where the suffering comes from.
Welcome to The Machine, everyone. I am your host, Mario, here with my co-host, Jeff Rowe. Journey with us as we adventure into conspiracy theories and the unexplained. Hello and welcome back, everybody. Jeff Rowe, it's been a little bit. It's been, uh, geez, it's been more than a little bit. This That's the longest hiatus we ever had here. I know we, uh, we do our best to put out the content when we do. Uh, we try not to rush the content because we want to put out good content, but... I mean, again, things get in the way, man. Things get hectic. Things get heavy. And, you know, it would be great if this was our full-time job and we could just continue to research and and uh, put stuff out there for our listeners. But, unfortunately, that's just not the case. And, you know, things happen. We haven't forgot about you, though. Right, Jeffro? Mea culpa, everybody. It's it's my fault. Uh, my, my schedule has drastically changed. Um, I've haven't been home nearly as much as I wanted to. And then, you know, anytime I do get a chance to get home, I have to kind of clean up the, the errand business and not to, not to mention the holiday season just passed us. So, uh, I, I apologize to everybody out there in podcast land. Well, I mea mean, culpa, mea culpa. <laughs> I don't, I don't think an apology is uh, needed or necessary. I know, you know, some of our listeners would love to hear our voices, more often and we thank you for that but i think they're really understanding it's the greatest thing about our listeners they are very very understanding and uh we appreciate that from every one of you and the last time we were talking was right before i was going into the belly of the beast uh quote unquote uh, disney world with my family so i was taking that trip um yeah i'm never going back to that place uh, as long as it's going to take a lot if I ever do end up going back to that place. But I am, I come home, Jeffro, and I canceled my Disney Plus subscription, which I really didn't want to keep it for as long as I did. It's just, it's getting more and more ridiculous. It's, um, <laughs> they, they want to tell everybody they're a homosexual, which is fine, but don't tell people that's what you are. It's just forced to everybody. Right. It's not even they're not even. It's not it's not even nonchalant anymore. It's just there and it's there so often. And uh, it's getting crazier and crazier and crazier. And I just don't want to be a part of it. So I'm out. I'm done with them. I'm done with that whole the whole thing. I uh, tried to give them the benefit of the doubt for the longest time being that was really. Uh, you know, I, I grew up watching that stuff, and I think a lot of people did. And uh, it was aimed toward children, and my, even my children back in the day. You know, they watched a lot of those those movies. And you know, w- once you realize and you know what to look for, and you see the things that you you see, it's hard not to see them anymore. And then you begin to see uh, more clearly. So, I'll just say that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember uh, hearing once on uh, Coast to Coast with Art Bell, which is a program I used to enjoy watching, listening to, and they uh, they they warned the listeners: be careful what you wish for, you know, because once the veil is lifted, you can never go back. No, it doesn't go back down. That being said, um, are you ready to take another layer off that veil, Jeffro? Oh yeah, uh, a subject matter that initially we were hesitant to. Uh, to bring to the audience because it's, it's such a, 
uh, trigger-filled subject matter that you get pretty emotional on, on both sides of the, the argument when discussing the subject matter. Right. Foreplay. Foreplay. No? All right. I got to change my notes. Uh, no, Jeffro. <laughs> <laughs> um, climate change, right? That's what we're talking about on this one is climate change. Climate change. And uh, we're hopefully, as you guys can understand from the opening there, we're going to take a little bit of a slight deviation to how most people attack this subject matter. And I think by the time we're done discussing this, we're going to have a lot of people learn a lot that uh, maybe at one point people weren't aware of. And this, this whole situation kind of ties in again to all the stuff that we discuss on this, on this podcast and, and how we want to go ahead and try to share the knowledge that we've come across because I very rarely come across any of this information. And I think it's very important that we discuss the subject matter in the manner that we're about to. Right. And when the listeners tuned into this episode, they were greeted with uh, a nice little opening clip as we try to do with many of our episodes. Now we, we play a nice little opening clip, opening clip to guide us into the subject matter of what the episode is about. Um, this one, no different with, uh, uh, Dr. Braden, right? Dr. Greg Braden. Correct. And, uh, we, we do have a few clips for this episode because we want to go ahead and make sure we back up and reference all the material. And in this episode, we're going to also put a lot of these, this reference material on Discord. Uh, there's some charts that he presents scientifically that are important, and we want to make sure that you guys have access to that. So Mario is going to put some of these these videos on Wix, and then uh, I'm going to post some of these on our Discord. So anybody who might be interested in, in joining the Discord, uh, you have an opportunity to go ahead and, and find these videos there, and or you know you can join and uh, come onto the website, and the information will be there as well. Yeah, and just to give the listeners an idea, whenever you whenever you want to join the uh, the Discord, and you ask uh, you ask us for the link. We're more than happy to give the link to you. Uh, once again, it is a timed link. So if we give you the link, you have uh, just a window to accept the invite and uh, jump into the discussion, which there are plenty of discussions on there. Um, once again, the only thing we ask is that everybody is kind to each other. We haven't had an issue with uh, anyone on there thus far. Um, obviously, not everyone is going to agree with each other, but uh, conversation is what helps us grow. Maybe you can change some minds. Maybe you can bounce ideas off of each other. Maybe you can come to realization that, you know, there's a pretty good theory behind everything, and that happens a lot on there, which I just, it's like, it's like creating a baby, Jeffro. It's, that's like a baby we've created every time these guys get together and they come up with a uh, collaborated theory. It's just, it, it's so, so cute. And I just want to give it a nice big hug. And I, <laughs> don't worry, I've never been on Epstein Island or anything. So not in that way. Oh, um, so, so, I mean, we've had different people reach out to us over um, our short time in the sabbatical. When I, I don't want to say sabbatical, but, you know, just when we were doing our thing. Um, 
person who goes by a Jurassic fan, he's uh, he or they or because I have no idea. They've been yeah, on right. the the Wix website lately, um, just putting stuff out there. And I want to say thank you. Um, who else? Uh, we've had some other people on here. Uh, Charlie, just good, good conversation there throughout the uh, the emails that I get. Um, I'm just looking through some of my emails. Right, I don't want to leave anybody out. Um, Alex, Alicia. Jesse, Josh, um, Mackie, just a lot of people. Josh, oh, I said Josh. I said Josh. What am I doing? Um, am I, I, I don't want to butcher this, but Fenris, Fenris, I want to say Fenris. Just so many people reaching out to us now, Jeffro. Just it, it's astonishing to me every time we get. Uh, People that reach out to us and say, you know, we we like your show, or you 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 messed up here, you didn't get this specific thing right here. I even like that because that means they're they're paying attention, they're listening. And I'm not perfect, you're not perfect. So there are times when uh, you know maybe we get a date wrong or we get a a slight you know detail wrong, and that could matter all all the more. But the fact that you're looking into that. Because you've listened to our podcast just means so much to the both of us. I know it does me, and I know it does Jeffro too. So, um, yeah, absolutely. Going further into this, Jeffro, our climate change. I mean, when I turn on the TV, again, that idiot box, as we'll call it, as SpongeBob has called it, it's the constant narrative, and we know that the the media is especially mainstream media is vastly owned majority left little bit right but neither one of them i think are getting this thing correct no no and that's how i wanted to start the podcast i wanted to you know dive into sort of what it was that you thought what you saw because for me whenever i hear the subject of climate change come up the things that i constantly hear are hey we have to make a change we're, we're causing issues in the environment. We're, we're the cause of, you know, all the excess carbon in the atmosphere, uh, the way we're living, the lifestyles that we have, um, the, the people who in America, you know, work in the coal mines, the coal burning, um, you know, the, the fossil fuel burning. And, and just like Greg Braden talked about in, in the opening there, we do need to start thinking about how we utilize oil in, in this world and and if we can't we do need to try to stop burning it but to go ahead and completely do away with the industry altogether it it just is not a a logical step because we use oil for so many different things other than just burning it for fossil fuels other than just burning it for for diesel or, or gasoline or, or things like that we do use it for other you know other things that we have every day in our life and i believe i believe he also said something about there's like four thousand different items or three thousand different daily items that we use oil for that has nothing to do with burning it so it is a very precious resource and i, I think by immediately demonizing 
the items that we do use in our everyday life, you automatically force a very powerful industry like the oil industry and you put them in a defense mode. And obviously that's going to motivate them to co-op this this whole subject matter because they feel like they have to defend their profits, which honestly, let's, let's face it, that's what they're more worried about than anything else. But also, if, if we are all sharing this planet, we at some point do want to find a happy medium and, and we're just not looking at that subject in a very fair or, or uh, positive manner. So I, I think whenever he was talking about how we could attack this issue, the fact that we don't demonize people and then we accept people, right? The fact that we can go ahead and, and create change for the better, that, that's going to be the healthy path if we choose that healthy path. Yeah, and it's something that you and I always say is if you're looking for truth, follow the money, right? Follow it's yeah, this yeah. this is no different. Make make no mistake, this is no different. So yeah, like we always say, follow the money, and it's nothing different, nothing short here. It's the same thing. It, it's power and money again. You know, they use power, they use fear, and uh the same thing. They they use fear when it comes to the COVID-19 virus. They use fear when it comes to the COVID-19 vaccination. They use they use fear in everything to coerce people into believing, hey, we're here for your benefit, but you better hurry up and do this, or we better hurry up and do that. And we're seeing that more and more on the daily, and especially even after... <laughs> remember, remember that video that was leaked on uh, from the CNN reporter who said, as soon as we're done talking about Trump, we're supposed to hit back on climate change. And right. they did that. They they didn't hesitate, even though they got busted. They still did it, and people still bought into it. Why? Because they were feared into doing so. We all live on the same rock. That's true. I say that all the time. Every one of us. So this is our home. Should we take care of our home? Absolutely we should. But don't fear me into thinking that I'm destroying my home. Don't fear me into thinking that I have to do things differently so you can profit off of it. And that's exactly what's happening here. Right. The, the word I want to use in this instance is this. They're using climate change and they're weaponizing it. They're weaponizing it to, to make money off of us because at the end of the day, most Americans, as most people who live on this planet, you know, we – we love the planet. We love where we live. Like you said, this is our home. And I think, especially with the American public, it's funny. There's this idea out there of that Catholic guilt, right? Or, you know, the, the country here was, the nation was, was you know, uh, the first Europeans here were the Protestants, right? And they talk about, you know, the, the Protestant guilt, right? We, for whatever reason, the thing that's weaponized against the Americans is always our moral code, right? And there's a word for this, you know, the, the Catholic guilt. The word is that I looked it up. I wanted to make sure I got this right. It's called scrupulosity, right? And what scrupulosity is, is it's a psychological disorder primarily characterized by pathological guilt 
or obsession associated with moral or religious issues that is often accompanied by compulsive moral or religious observances and is highly distressing and maladaptive. So this idea has been used against the, the American public incessantly since the beginning of our nation, right? Oh, you don't want to get the shot? What, don't you care about your neighbor? Oh, don't you care about the elderly? Uh, you know, you don't want to save the planet? What, you just want to go ahead and use up all the oil? What, you just want to go ahead and, you know, and, and this is the idea that's, that's constantly sold to us. Well, if you don't do this, then your moral character is in question. If, if you don't recycle, reuse, then, you know, you're just a terrible person. And, and should we not be abusive of the planet? Absolutely. But where we're going to go with this podcast more and where we're going to have a couple of videos that we want to share with people is they've taken this idea, ideology and they've turned it 180 degrees and weaponized it against us. And in doing so, we're not getting the full truth, right? And by not getting the full truth, we're being scared, you know, fear mongered into creating entire industries that are allowing the elites and the corporations to profit off of us at nausea. And it's just ridiculous. Yeah, it's the same thing as having a conversation with somebody when you try to talk about, uh, you know, racial issues or anything like that. And the, the immediate thing they do is say, well, you're a racist and they kill the conversation there because if you don't agree with them, then by their definition, you're a racist. And that's when you do that on a larger scale, when you have the, the mainstream media beating down on you like that. Nobody wants to wants to feel like they're a horrible person, right? Nobody wants to feel like they've contributed to something that's destroying your home or their home or anyone's home. So, again, like you were saying, it plays on the moral fiber. Absolutely. And it's, it's a very effective tool because, again, everybody, whether, the, whether a person is or not, doesn't really matter. A person always believes that they are. Uh, a moral person and whenever you you basically weaponize the idea that you're a piece of crap and if you don't listen to what it is that i'm saying then you know you're at fault and you're the reason for the decline so it, it's it's a very effective form of manipulation that people have used to to use against the public probably for as long as people have been in power Time and time and time again throughout history. But the problem lies simply with this. It's the truth has been manipulated here. What what we're being told and what we're being, you know, lied to upon how how they're triggering us and making us feel, you know, like these horrible people playing on our moral values is simply just not true at all none of it's true whatsoever like you were saying and uh like uh, greg braden was saying do we need to be green yes yes we do we need to be green in a sense of we need to be more thoughtful more conservative more um 
take more caution with how we use our natural resources here instead of being so frivolous and non-prepared for, you know, different changes in the climate itself. Because you and I have had this discussion many, many times, and I've always said this, uh, climate change is has always existed. Um, but the thing that they're trying to sell it to everybody right now is that your carbon footprint is the reason. And like you and I are talking about right now, it is not the reason. That is not the re Climate change has always happened throughout history. And it will. Where the lie comes in is now climate change is so bad and it's humanity's fault, which is not true. Right. No. And what we're going to do is for this for this episode, we have a couple videos. And some of them ha have some length to them, but they're very important because they present – scientific data that initially neither you or I were ever pervy to, and I don't think the public is pervy to. And in this first video is a video from Greg Braden. And uh, again, this is in this video, there's, there's several different charts that he tries to describe. Um, it was from a uh, YouTube video. So we're going to, we're going to share this YouTube video from his series called science policy and politics. And obviously uh, he, he talks about in his videos he wants them shared, so I don't think there's any conflict in sharing this video. But we also want to go ahead and give you guys the source information that way if you ever want to dive more into some of his video series, you guys have the option. But yeah, we want to go ahead and play this because – and then we're going we're gonna to speak on it on the back side because some of the information that he presents is going to blow your guys' mind. Yeah, and some of it, like you were saying, is visual when he starts talking about the charts and the graphs and everything. He gives actual evidence as to how these things are measured. So, again, if you want to see these things while you're listening to them, you're a little intrigued, uh, join the Discord. Uh, we'll uh, put some snapshots on there. Uh, Jeffro is going to put some snapshots on there, right, Jeffro? And yeah, uh, I will handle the Wix site. I will upload this video to the Wix site if you just want to watch the whole video. But uh, we're going to play that whole video. It's, uh, like Jeffro said, it's lengthy. And uh, we hope you enjoy length over girth right here and enjoy this. Wait, what? Just listen yeah. to the video. Welcome to this very special episode of Science, Policy, and Politics. My name is Greg Braden. I am your host for this entire episode, the entire series. You are stuck with me, at least for the remainder of this episode. And I am uh, I'm doing my very best to keep these episodes concise, maybe 20, 25 minutes, because I want you to stay with me for those 20 or 25 minutes. I, I don't want to, to saturate you with too much Greg all at once. You know, when we launched the first episode of the series, I got a lot of correspondence, uh, as you can imagine. People were asking questions like, why the series? Why have I created science policy and politics? It appears to some people to be very different from what I've done in the past. I'm a multidisciplinary scientist, a multidisciplinary researcher. I have a lot of irons and a lot of fires. Some of those you have seen more publicly, such as the self-help kind of work. Some of you have been involved with me in other projects, other committees, uh, consulting uh, with other kinds of issues. And there's a place where all of these come together, and that's what science, policy, and politics is all about. You and I, are living in a world that is changing very, very quickly. There's no secret there. My world is changing. Your world is changing. But here's the thing. We're being asked to make choices, and we're being asked to make decisions that we've never been asked to make before. And for the most part, we have been 
poorly prepared to make these decisions. We're being asked to embrace policies that we know very little about. We're being asked to enact laws that determine how we live our lives based on information that we really may not even understand. We're being asked to elect officials to represent us in the form of government that we have that are supposed to reflect our belief systems and our values. How can we do that? How can we do that if we don't have the information? So the point, the whole point of this series, and the reason I've developed it, it's based on a simple premise. The premise is this. When the facts are clear, our choices become obvious. Think about that. When, our, when the facts are clear, rarely, seldom do we need to be told what to do because we say, of course, it makes perfect sense to, to do this thing or to, to think in, in this way. What I've found in my life is typically when the decisions are the most difficult is because I don't have all the information. You and I are being asked to make difficult decisions and we're being told how to think. There's a battle playing out. You know that I've talked about it in other programs, other episodes. There's a battle for our thoughts. There's a battle for our beliefs. There's a battle for our very humanness. High tech is leading us to believe that we are vulnerable, fragile, frail humans, that we must replace our natural extraordinary biology with AI, artificial intelligence, computer chips, wires, chemicals. And I'm going to address that later in this series, as I have in other programs and other books. The point is that we're being asked to make the decisions based upon other people's ideas and the way they want us to think. So I am offering this to you. I wanted to bring this to you. There's no charge for any of this. I didn't want you to have to buy a book or go to a course, especially now. Uh, I'm going to date this a little bit. This is in the time of COVID, in the pandemic. Years from now, when the pandemic is behind us, you'll see this and, and you'll know when it was that this was created. But climate is especially important because it touches something so primal within each of us. We all love this planet. We all want a better world. We all want a good life for ourselves and our families. And we are passionately going about the things that we believe will lead us to that end. But what we're doing is based upon the information that we're being given. And this is what is tearing our families apart. I'm seeing families, I'm seeing husbands and wives separate and divorce. I'm seeing uh, uh, parents and children that can't find common ground in this. It's tearing apart communities. It's tearing apart our society. It's tearing apart our nation. It is shattering our world. What is happening with climate? And it's, it's causing such divisiveness. So I'm just going to give an example. I live in uh, northern New Mexico. There was a climate rally here not long ago. And the elders, people in my generation that were speaking to a younger generation, rather than inviting them to embrace data and make positive change, they incited them to become angry about the injustices that had been done based upon false assumptions of, of obsolete science. And those young people were then empowered to go and destroy property they felt justified in destroying the property that they felt was contributing to the lies of the climate change that they had just been uh, been told in in this uh, in this public forum. So this is an example of where I think it's so important. It all comes down to this fundamental question: How can we solve the problems if we're not honest about the problems? If we really want to solve these problems in a healthy way, we've got to be honest with ourselves. What are we afraid of? What have we got to lose if we are honest with ourselves about the change? Now, when it comes to climate, 
and I'm, I am really passionate about this. Earth is a dynamic system and science is a dynamic system of knowledge. Science is designed to be constantly updated and earth is constantly changing. We are constantly having new research and new data that helps us to update what we have been led to believe about climate. So when someone in a position of power and authority says to me through the mainstream media, discussion is over. We can't talk about this anymore because the data is in, the discussion is over, finished. I am very suspicious of that person and their motives because science is designed as an ongoing discussion. It's a conversation designed to be constantly updated and honed and refined based on the new data that comes in. So this is why I think this, this episode, this particular episode is a very powerful episode. And this series is important because I am an independent researcher, an independent author. I'm not affiliated with any university or any academics, with any corporations, with any religions, with any organizations. I have nothing to lose by sharing with you what I have found as a scientist and a researcher. And when it's updated, I will update with that with you. And when information overturns what I have said to you, I have no problem saying to you, I made uh, the decision based upon what I knew in that moment. And as new information comes to me, I'm gonna share it with you. This is, this is how it works. And this is the healthy way for us to move forward in dealing with the change that we see in our life and our world. So right now I'm a big Greg on the screen. I have some images I'd like to share with you. So I'm gonna become a little Greg up in the upper right-hand corner of your screen so we can focus on the images. Near the end, I'll be the big Greg again and we'll have a little discussion and let's see where we go from there. One of the best ways to understand our relationship to the climate of our planet in the present is to see how it fits into our relationship with the climate of the planet from the past. And uh, this, is, this is one of the things that led me to become an earth scientist, to become a geologist, because I'm fascinated by the fact that we can look into the history of the earth and earth will tell us her history in her own language. If we have the wisdom to understand that language and in the language of, of the Southern Andes mountains of Peru, Pachamama, mother earth tells us her story. He, she reveals her, her past through records that can be read like you read the pages of a book. And as a young scientist, uh, I was fascinated by this, not just because it's interesting, which it is, but because it also helps us to understand us. How have civilizations been influenced by climate in the past? When did great civilizations end and when, they, when did they begin? And how does that relate to climate? What we find is climate change has driven the collapse of of massive civilizations in the past. As the climate changed, food became scarce, competition uh, became the, the way that the, the people were working and it led to war and the war is what ended those civilizations. That is important because we are in those cycles. And the question is, are we, are we making the same mistakes uh, as we have seen in previous civilizations? Can we recognize those? Can we make new choices? So. One of the, the best ways to understand climate in the past is through what are called the ice cores. Every year, a new layer of ice is deposited in the cold regions of the extremes, the Greenland ice caps north of the equator and Antarctica south of the equator. 
And this is what the ice cores look like. I wanted you to see what an ice core looks like. I was surprised the first time I saw one, they're bigger than I thought that they, uh, that they would be. And from these ice cores, we can discover a whole lot of information. You would be amazed at what we can discover. And think about the reason. Every year when that ice layer forms, it captures little bubbles of air from the atmosphere. And in those bubbles of air, we can tell exactly how much carbon dioxide was in the atmosphere for that year, how much oxygen was in the atmosphere. We can tell if there were volcanoes on the planet because volcanic dust will be in that ice. We can tell uh, if the, the pollen grains carried by the jet stream or by some other air current uh, from one part of the world, we can tell what was happening in that part of the world because those pollen grains will be in the ice. We can tell what the temperatures were, how hot or how cold for that year, how high were the sea levels, how low, how strong was the sun, how strong were the magnetic fields, so much more. So you get the idea. So from the ice cores, we have a record of our past. Now I want you to see, this is a close-up of what an ice core looks like. So you can see those, those vertical bands that you're seeing, uh, each band represents one year of Earth's history. The dark bands, obviously, something was happening. Maybe an asteroid struck the Earth and kicked a lot of dust into the atmosphere, or maybe it's the dust from the Sahara being blown by superstorms, you know, or maybe, um, uh, you know, maybe a, a, it was a meteorite or, you know, fires, great fires swept the Earth. All that's recorded in, in the ice. This information can be read like the pages of a book, and it's not surprised they're kept in what is called an ice core library. And there are multiple libraries. You're seeing one right here. So scientists can come and they can pull out these ice cores like you pull out the, a, a book in a library, although a lot of this is digital now. So they don't have to actually pull out this ice core any longer. All right, so let's get to the, the heart of this. What is the ice core telling us? I'm giving you peer-reviewed data. I want you to know these are not my theories. It's not my hypothesis. It's simply science that you rarely see in the mainstream. You won't see this in mainstream media. It's not popular. It's, it doesn't support the narrative that is being perpetrated in the mainstream media. So I'm giving you the full references here. This is from uh, peer-reviewed uh, uh, data that was published in the very prestigious journal Nature, volume 399. I'm even giving you all the researchers. Usually you'll have the name of one and then it'll say at E-T-A-L, at Al, which means, you know, there are more. I want you to see all this here. There's no secrets here. What you're seeing is this. So let, let's start out. This is uh, a, date, a, a data, a graph showing data of temperature changes. Now, I'll be really clear. This is not absolute temperature. These are variations in the temperature above and below the normal from one ice core. And this is from EPICA, E-P-I-C-A, in one location in Antarctica. Uh, it begins on the right-hand side, goes back 450,000 years before today. On the left-hand side is today, is, is present day. So all I want you to see from this, can you see that there are rhythms and cycles? And if, if you can, you're right on because there are cycles within cycles. There are 5,000-year cycles. There's the 10,000-year cycles, 25, 26,000-year cycles, 41,000-year cycles, 100,000-year cycles. And you say, well, Greg, maybe it's a one-off. Maybe this is an anomaly. What you're seeing in the green is a second ice core, a very famous ice core from another part of Antarctica, about 300 miles away from the Epica ice core. What you see in the green, it's the Vostok ice core. 
All I want you to see from this is can you see how it agrees in general? Uh, the closely uh, correlates, it, it parallels what you see, the green parallels what you see in the blue. So this is pretty good data. And, and the red at the bottom is, uh, is very intuitive. What you're seeing, I'll show you, I think you can see the, the cursor from my computer here. What you're seeing is these are variations in temperatures. When the temperatures rise, like you're seeing on the green and the blue, what would you expect would happen with the ice? The warmer temperature would melt the ice. The ice would collapse. And look at that. This is exactly what you're seeing right here. And then when the temperatures are low, you would see the ice gradually build. It's exactly what you're seeing until they reach a warm place and then the ice collapses. So this is the red is the thickness of the ice compared to the temperature. All this comes from the ice cores. All right. So 450,000 years ago is uh, how far back the epoch goes on the right. We are here on the left right there. And I'm just going to say you are here. What this says, according to these uh, the, the historic records of the temperature anomalies, it says that we should be in a warming period. And we are. I would be concerned if we were not having some degree of warming, I would say, why not? Because we're due for it, according to, to these cycles. So are we the warmest we've ever been? Not according to what these charts are telling us. Uh, we are warm. But there are cycles in the past where the, the difference in the temperature has been much greater than it is today. The other thing that I want you to note here is that when the warming does happen or the cooling, this happens on both, both ends. When the warming happens, it's intense, but it's brief. It doesn't last long. It doesn't like drag on and on and on in a plateau. It's a peak and then it's what comes next that's often the problem because from the warming peak, we go into cooling cycles. Not necessarily an ice age every time, but definitely cooling. And it doesn't take much cooling to change the way that we live our lives, especially north of the equator, where most of the land mass is found, most of the population of the earth lives, and most of the food is grown north of the equator on the earth. So, Here's the big question. In episode one, what is the role of climate change in the world that we're seeing now? And, and I think we answered that. Are we the cause? This is the big question right now. Let's see what the data is telling us. We see these rhythms in the earth going back from here over 450,000 years before present. Scientists are in agreement. So this is not controversial what I'm going to say to you. That anatomically modern humans, you and me, the way we are right now, we showed up on Earth about 200,000 years before present. Now, I know there are other belief systems that give different dates and there are other interpretations. I am sharing with you peer-reviewed science to honor you in this conversation. And I'm not discounting anything else that's out there. I'm choosing to, to share with you the scientific model so that we can have this conversation based upon facts rather than speculation. All right. 200,000 years ago, I'm going to show you where here's the line right here, 200,000 years before present. So from that blue line to your left to present day, we have had the opportunity, the potential to contribute to climate change through industrialization that has happened in that 200,000 years. But look, look at this, look at that, that blue line to the right Science tells us that anatomically modern humans and modern industry did not exist during that time, but the cycles were still there. So if we're honest with ourselves, 
have we, are, are we the cause of the climate change because it was happening when we were not on earth? We have to say that we are not the cause. So let's just be honest with ourselves. We're not causing climate change. I'll show you what, what is here in just a moment. Um, and my sense is this episode may run just a little bit longer than the others, but, uh, but not a lot. So, so please hang in there with me. But I, I want to be honest with you and, and share with you all of this data. Now, this chart that I'm going to share with you, you, uh, you probably saw the film uh, that came out of, a few years ago that was called An Inconvenient Truth. This is an inconvenient slide, all right? You're not going to see this in a lot of mainstream. It's based upon peer-reviewed data. I'm going to, you've got the source for it right here. So what this is uh, may look a little technical, but I'm going to break it down really quickly. In the blue, what you see are the temperature, the rise and the fall of the temperatures. In the green, right below, what you're seeing is the rise and the fall of carbon dioxide based upon the data from those ice cores. Now, is there a correlation? Absolutely, there's a correlation. Uh, right on, man. You can see a correlation. Correlation is not causation. All right? Just because the data correlates doesn't mean that one necessarily caused the other. All right? And what you're seeing here, I'm going to invite you to look closely. Let's take a look at one of these peaks right here. And I intentionally offset in this first line, I offset the red a little bit so that you could see where the peak is. I mean, if we move that over, you can see there's, there's the peak in the temperature. And what you see is that that temperature peaks before the CO2 is peaks. Even if I move that over a little bit, it would be like right here. The temperature rises before the carbon dioxide. Well, you say, well, wait a minute. I thought the greenhouse gases are causing the warming. I thought the CO2 is causing the warming. It's not what the data suggests. All right, I'm, gonna, I'm going to share with you what the data does suggest, but I'm just going to go through this step by step. You say, well, maybe, that, maybe that's a fluke. Did it happen somewhere else? Well, yeah, look at this. Everywhere where you see a rise in the blue, in the temperature, the CO2, it rises, but it lags. The temperature rises first, and then the CO2 rises. All right? Seeing it right here, and I, I could go through all of these. I, I didn't, but I did an, enough to show you. Now, this one is inter interesting because look at this. The temperature is rising. Look at what the CO2 is doing right here. I'm just going to back off. There's the CO2. It's actually dipping. The, the, the carbon dioxide is low, and the temperature is rising. All right? And look at these big peaks over here. Here, the temperature is rising. CO2 is rising, but it lags. The temperature is rising, the CO2 lags. Look at this. You see it right there. It's happening throughout our past. Now, this surprised a lot of scientists. There's a reason for this. And I want to be really clear. This is a, a tricky conversation. It's delicate. This is not climate denial. It's just the opposite. The fact is, climate change is a fact. We need to adapt to climate change. We are not the cause of the climate change. Are we contributing? We have to say that we're contributing because we are kicking carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. Is carbon dioxide causing the warming? This data says that it's not. All right. Now I'm going to show you what that means here in, in just a moment. But let's look at this. Here we are right here. I, I made a different color line on the far right. Here's present day. And look, when our warming began... All right, so here's our warming beginning right down here, and you're seeing this warming. The same thing is happening. The CO2 lags. 
Now, there are charts and graphs out there that are showing you 10-year histories of the Earth or 80-year or histories of the Earth. Mother Nature, geology does not work in 10-year or 80-year cycles. Mother Nature works in vast cycles of time. And I think it's very disingenuous to take that data in these snapshots out of the context of the big picture. That's called cherry picking the data. And uh, there are some people that are really good at, at doing that. So what you're seeing is we are in a warming. There it is right there. The warming began before the CO2. And it's not your imagination. I want you to know, I, I want to show you the chart and where that came from. Here is the peer-reviewed data. Here are the scientists telling us this. Here's the title, Vostok Ice Core Climatic Response to CO2 and Orbital Forcing Changes Over Last Climatic Cycle. This is one of the reasons that you don't see this in the mainstream. Look at the title of this article. I mean, who, who has a, a beautiful, hardbound copy of this article on your bedstand for light bedtime reading? Like I do. <laughs> They're very complex articles, and, and that's why they're often published in obscure journals. You don't see a lot of this in the mainstream science, but look at what it's saying. Look at this. This is a direct quote. When going from interglacial to glacial conditions. I'll stop right there. What does that mean? Glacial conditions are when the glaciers are prevalent on the earth. We are not in that now. We're in between, so we are in the interglacial. So when going from where we are now, from interglacial into glacial conditions, now look at this. Look at what this says. The change in carbon dioxide concentration actually lags the change in the air temperature. All right, they're telling us. Right? This, is, this is rock solid, hardcore science. These are not politicians. These are not people who have an agenda, a political agenda or a domestic agenda or an economic agenda or a religious agenda. These are scientists doing their job. The carbon dioxide lags the change in the air temperature and you just saw that. You saw that in the chart. All right, so I'm gonna move quickly. If the carbon dioxide is not the cause, what is? Scientists have known for most of the 20th century the answer to this question. A lot of scientists don't like this answer, but they're now being led to a place where they've got to embrace what this answer is saying. You know, we ask science, to tell us who we are and about our relationship to the world. And science does that. And sometimes scientists, there's some scientists that don't like the answers and push back on those answers. There was a mathematician, his name was Militon Milankovic. You know where this is going if you are familiar with Milankovic cycles. He identified cycles that are very probably the trigger for the climate change. Now, when I was in school, back in, I have to say this, back in the 1950s, 1960s, early 1970s, when I was in school, I remember a picture, uh, a colored picture in my geology book of the sun in the middle of the page, and then Earth making an orbit around the sun, which it does, but that orbit being a perfectly circular orbit, and Earth looking exactly the same orientation everywhere in that orbit. That simply is not true. Earth does a dance as Earth orbits the sun, and that dance has three primary movements. Those movements change our relationship to the sun, and that is what scientists now suspect is the trigger for climate change. Here's what I mean. Milankovic cycles. The first of these movements is called the precession of the equinoxes. It's a 24 to 26,000 year cycle, huge cycles of time. Precession, I'm gonna invite you just to hold that in mind for a moment. The second is one of the biggest 
probably has one of the, the greatest influences is caused eccentricity. So what you see here, you see the blue line that depicts the Earth's orbit. Here's the sun in the middle. And you can see that sometimes we are, if we were here, we're closer to the sun. Sometimes we're further away. All right. That means different times uh, in the orbit are relative to where the sun is. And those differences range from 100,000 years to 413,000 years. So that is the eccentricity. Uh, and the third is what's called obliquity or simply the tilt. Uh, and this is about a 41,000 year cycle. So all I want you to see from this, precession, eccentricity, obliquity. Here it is graphed on a chart, precession, eccentricity, obliquity. And what you're going to see right at the bottom is the warming and the cooling of the earth as it relates to these cycles. So here's how this appears to work. When one or some or two or some combination of these peaks line up, earth goes through some climate change and it happens all the time. Sometimes it can be simply this eccentricity seems to, to be driving a lot of the effect. So let's look at what we're seeing right here. Let me just show you right there. Okay, what you're seeing, I'm going to back it up so you can see it. The peak of that blue is lining up with the peak of the red right there. Can you see that? All right. And so when precession and eccentricity are lined up, look at what happens down here. You've got warming. You say, well, Greg, maybe that is a one-off. Maybe it's a fluke. Well, look at this. Here's the right in the peak of the eccentricity. I'm going to back this off so you can see it. There is also the peak of the obliquity right there. And you're also seeing the peak of the precession. So all three line up right here and you've got some warming. This happens all the time. And this appears to be what we're experiencing right now. So where are we today? Where are we right now? Here's a, a thousand years ago. Here is present day. And look at what's happening. I don't know if I drew, I didn't draw a little line there, but here's us right here where the cursor is. And we are, look at how minor our eccentricity is compared to where it's been in the past. We are experiencing relatively minor climate change. Now it's big to us because we're not prepared for it. It's big to us because it's different from what we have been led to experience in the past. We've been led to believe that Earth is a static system and that the seasons always happen at the same time. The climate is always the way it is. And when that varies, we think something is wrong or something is broken. And that belief can be hijacked and used as leverage for political agendas. All right. I just want you to be aware of the truth of our relationship to the climate we definitely need to go green. Don't get me wrong. I want to be very clear. We need to go green. We need to stop burning fossil fuels. What I'm sharing with you is not an excuse for the abuse of fossil fuels. We need to go clean, green, sustainable. I'm going to talk about it in just a moment, but that's the question we're answering right now is, are we responsible? Did we cause the climate change and are we causing the climate change? So are we causing this warming? As a scientist, I have to say, we are not the cause. The data simply doesn't support that. It suggests that the Milankovic cycles are the initial cause. Now, here's how this works. And I don't want to get really complex, but I, I want to be very clear. It appears that the Milankovic cycles begin the climate change. So they trigger the warming, and that's why the warming happens first. And then you see the CO2 start to rise. 
because when the warming occurs, it warms the land, it warms the oceans. When the water is cool, it holds more carbon dioxide. As the oceans begin to warm, they begin to release carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. And we are now contributing in that part of the cycle. We are contributing to the carbon dioxide that is naturally released into the atmosphere through these cycles, all right? So to what degree are we contributing and how can we change that? That's other episodes. I'm answering the question right now. Are we the cause? We're not the cause. The data supports. So where do we go from here? We've just covered a lot of ground. I knew I moved quickly. Our episode's gone just a little bit longer than it typically would. So what I'd like to do is let me come back to the big Greg and let's see where, where we go from here. What does it make sense to do from this point forward? We began this episode by asking a single question. Are we the cause of climate change? Are we the cause of global warming? You and I together have explored peer-reviewed data telling us that we are not the cause. The climate change was happening long before humans ever appeared upon Earth. The data also suggests that we are contributing to the greenhouse gases that are correlated to climate change. But are those gases actually worsening the warming? We're going to explore that answer in future episodes, but here's what I wanna say about the climate change right now. You know, climate change is only a problem if we're not prepared for the climate change. There's something called normalcy bias in psychology, where when an individual is confronted with a change that is so massive and it represents such a perceived obstacle, the tendency is just to discount the change, to try to live life as if that change were not occurring. We're experiencing normalcy bias when it comes to climate change because we are being asked to continue living just the way we've always lived in the presence of extremes in weather and local weather and rain and snow and heat and cold and floods and ocean levels. It makes sense to expect those extremes because of where we are in the climate change. And if we adapted accordingly, there would be much less suffering and I believe that we would have a, a much different experience of what the climate change is leading us to experience right now. If we're honest with ourselves, we have everything we need, not just to survive, but to thrive, to transcend and become better people, create a better world. We have all the information. The question is, are we willing to embrace the information that we've asked science to provide us? That's what this series is all about. And in the next series, we're going to pick up right where we leave off here in the next episode. And we're going to begin talking about the forms of energy that are available to us. What would, what would you do if I said to you that there's a form of energy that produces zero greenhouse gases, burns zero fossil fuels, that is made from a substance that is available in the earth abundantly and expensively on every continent of the earth. It cannot be weaponized like uranium is as it's made into plutonium. It cannot melt down like a Fukushima reactor. What would you do if I said we have that available? We've already used it and it's been available for over 70 years. You probably ask the same question that I do. Where is it? I invite you to join me in the next episode and we're going to talk about that and much more as we continue our conversation of science, policy, and politics. All right, Jeffro, that uh, right. that was a lengthy video, and, and, but full of information, right? I mean, it was much needed information on this topic of climate change and why we have such a bad grasp and such a bad idea of 
the cause of climate change more than anything to me that's that's what stood out to me because when i have the when i have the mainstream media beating down it that's because of your range rover oh no it's because you got all these trucks it's the hillbillies fault it's down south all they do is run their four wheelers it, it, listen it's not your fault it's not my fault climate change has always happened it's continued to happen our carbon footprint is so minimal so so minimal in all this and I think what uh, Dr. Braden was saying here is the alarming part about it is not that we're forcing climate change into a dangerous area. It's not our human carbon footprint. It's sounding the alarm on are we prepared for the climate? Because it's going to happen regardless. The climate changes regardless of anything. But instead of taking blame, we should be preparing. And I think that was what stood out to me during that video more than anything was we need to be more prepared. Right. So you're right, Mario. He he makes a very, very big distinction in this. It's not that we are the cause of climate change. We are contributing to it, right? And to pretend like we have – the ability to change the planet's cycle because I don't know about you, but in school, I had never heard of a, the Milankovitch cycles. And whenever he's referring to the Milankovitch cycles, I, I was blown away by the fact that whenever you, whenever you guys do get a chance to see this chart, he, he's talking about the orbit of the planet going around the sun. It's, it's not in a smooth, even orbit. It's, it's a, like an ellipse. Right. So there's times when the planet is closer to the sun. There's times where it's further away from the sun. And if you look at these cycles, right, and you also add in, you know, the, the tilt and the wobble, which are the eccentricity, eccentricity and the obliquity, you're obviously going to have cycles that change temperature because of the distance and the location of the planet in the solar system relative to the sun. You're not going to have a constant 72 degrees in every location of the planet. And the fact that he said the temperature in the interglacial periods raise before the carbon. And this is the evidence. This is the smoking gun. This is what he said was the inconvenient truth, the actual inconvenient science. People just completely glaze over because if this information got out to the masses, then it would put the fly in the ointment of, of the discussion and, and the arguments that all these people who try to tell us they know better and they've got the, they've got the solution to go ahead and, and change the planet back to the way the planet was 10 years ago or 15 years ago. And like he said, there you're not going to have a constant single line of consistent temperature and, and weather changes. You know, we, we live, uh, most people believe, believe we live on a, on a you know, ball, right? So nothing is flat, right? Nothing is even, and it's not going to be even in every different point. So you're going to have these ebbs and flows. You're going to have these peaks and valleys. You're going to have these times when, 
temperature in the past was much warmer than it is now, right? Uh, temperatures were much colder in the past than they are now. And I think the, the main point here is whether humans were here on the planet right now or not, we the planet itself would have, would at this point in time, because of its relation to the sun, we would already be in a warming trend. No it matter. Would be no different than what it is now. No different. Now we may be increasing and intensifying these short periods of times, right? Because the immediate, the immediacy with the temperature variances, we are affecting it. Like he said, we, we are contributing to some of the, the drastic nature of, of temperatures, right? Of climate. But to think that we are affecting the cycle that's on a hundred thousand year cycle, a 26,000 year cycle, a 41 year thousand cycle, a 5,000 year cycle, which these numbers are very close to numerology. If you guys want to think about it, five, 6,000 years, 41, maybe 42,000. We've talked about before the 25,920 year uh, procession of the equinox, which references very closely to the 26,000 year cycle. So these things match up. These cycles match up with sacred geometry. These things match up in these ebbs and flows, these peaks and valleys. They all match up to the ice cores of the past. And these ice cores are, are, are really where this information is really important because they're like the tree rings of a tree, right? They tell you environment. Uh, they tell you uh, temperatures. Um, this is where and, we get our data from. This is this, this is where we get our data ask, from. Every time I have this conversation with somebody, they say, "Well, you know, how how can you say that about uh, something that happens?" So, you know, if this has been happening for so many hundreds of thousands of years, how could you possibly even have that data when nobody was around to record it? Uh, no living human was around to record it. Sure, maybe that doesn't mean our Earth doesn't speak to us. Our Earth speaks right, to exactly. us in many different ways, and people are in tune to that. And when these real people who look at actual facts and actual analytics and the scientists that go in there and they take these ice core samples, the Earth isn't lying to you. You know, history no. is not lying to you. It's the manipulation no. of such, and we see this time and time again on any scale, when when there's power and financial gain to be had, anything can be manipulated. And most often than not, it is. And that's where we're at here. It's the same thing. So don't tell me that if I go out and I buy, you know, a pickup truck that uh, I'm contributing to the next tsunami. That's just not true. Do it's we, not do a one-to-one -one correlation. Our, it's, our, again, it's not. We're, yes, we, we do need to find better ways of transportation we do need to find better ways to use oil rather than burning it but the idea that we're the cause we're the ones that created it that's the misnomer that's where you know that term of the guilt that the term of scrupulosity that that's where it comes from right because people know that they could use that that thought process and and weaponize it against us so you know we're, we're going to start getting into some of the ideas and some of the ways that it's, it is used against us, right? Our, our, our 
good emotions and our, our moral compass is used against us constantly. And I just – one of the things I also want to bring to people's attention that he didn't kind of uh, accentuate in, in his presentation was that whenever he referenced the article in the, the science journal Nature, when he talked about this study of the glacial and the interglacial uh, article, this article – was written, uh, let's see here, in October of 1987. So this is not new information. When this study was done, it no doubt has been suppressed because whenever he talks about science, you know, the, the consensus is out. Scientists all believe that, you know, global warming is a fact and we need to I think I think his major point, my my biggest takeaway from all this is we think on a small scale, humans think on a on a decade by decade, century by century scale. And we think somehow we're gonna affect the Earth's cycles. So we are so naive and to think that we are gonna be able to change the way the planet is acting when in reality we're missing the boat. What we have to start doing is we have to start changing the way we interact with our climate, and we have to learn to evolve with the ever-changing temperatures and the ever-changing climate. And until we come to the realization that, yes, we need to help be good stewards to the planet, but the biggest issue is we have to learn to evolve with the changing climate, and we're not doing that. We're not finding better ways because the, the, the biggest key to that Milankovic cycle is this. Like he said, the warming cycle is very short. We're talking decades, maybe no more than a century. And then what's scary is what comes after it, and that's the temperature drop, drastic drop. When you guys see these charts, we're not talking like several degrees drop. We're talking not necessarily like he said an ice age. But we're talking 20, 30, 40, 50 degrees drop. And until we're willing to face that fact that we're not going to be able to change that and we need to find new effective ways of technology, new effective ways of dealing with that, if, if we don't face that whenever it does happen, and it's going to feel like it's overnight, when it does happen, whether it's us, our children, or our grandchildren, <clears throat> we're going to be caught with our pants down around our ankles. Literally, and there's going to be nothing but despair and, and death and misery if we, we don't look at the signs and we don't look at our history and learn from it and, and figure out a way to cohabitate with the planet's cycles in a healthy way. You know, it's it's funny you say that when uh, when you say, you know, we don't if we don't learn from our history, because that seems to be the way the world right now, we don't really nobody's learning from our history. Everybody just wants to point and blame. There's really nobody's talking about a solution. Everybody's just pointing the finger. Nobody's coming up with a solution or an idea or something to do. I'm not hitting a panic button here. Don't get me wrong. I'm not hitting a panic button. But in the same sense, it's when nothing when you when then nothing's being done like you said the scary part is the back end is the drop when that time comes and that's who knows 
you know exactly when that time is coming, but it's coming. It's definitely coming. Whether it's your children or your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren, you know, we could be talking about, you know, a race of humans that is just possibly the last if we're not careful if nobody's careful and it's not be it's not it's not the global warming and the carbon footprint that the humans have it's it's that we have to come up with a solution a better way to work with our our home our earth our planet so when i see different people come up with these different ideas like electric cars, like turbines, like solar panels, like uh, recycling. Um, all sound like great ideas, Jeff Rowe. Not always, uh, not always just an idea as much as it is for financial gain. And uh, we're going to get into that here also. But I do want to talk about one more thing. You were talking about the orbit around the sun and how the, the earth moves around the sun. Uh, nobody talks about the ice growing on the other end of the polar caps. So when the Earth is moving and rotating and you hear about these ice caps losing huge chunks of ice, nobody's talking about the other end of the ice cap where the ice is actually growing. Right, right. The Ross, I believe, is the Ross Ice Shelf, which is mm -hmm. the side where uh, South America is, and which is coincidentally... The portion of Antarctica, if you guys remember back when we were talking about Antarctica episode, is the portion of Antarctica that America has claimed. But the side of Australia, on the side of uh, Antarctica where Australia is, it's actually gaining ice, like you said. Um, and and I, I do think real quick we should mention something about uh, the carbon charts that he showed on his uh, video. The reason why there's a lag is he talks about Whenever the temperature rises, that's when ice starts to melt, and ice actually contains a lot of carbon. And what ends up happening, the reason why the carbon lags behind the rise of temperature is because once you hit the rise of temperature, melt water starts developing. And because of that, whenever water becomes liquid, a lot of carbon is released into the atmosphere. Right. So it's – you know we're sold the idea, the reason why the temperature – is increasing is because of the increase in carbon when in actuality it's in reverse. And um, going forward to this next section of this episode we want to present is the whole idea of the terminology that you just just used there in the carbon footprint. And I think if people <sighs> I, I don't know if you've necessarily seen this video, Mario. So what I would like to do is maybe we can go ahead and present this information and then uh, comment on the backside of this because I think this information – and this information comes from a, a YouTuber named Sorel Amore, and she has a uh, video or video channel called Sorel Amore Finance. And it's another video that we possibly can share here on Discord and whatnot. Um, she has some very fascinating information that more than likely will upset a lot of our listeners because once I came across this information – it was a whole dumb moment. Like, I couldn't believe it. I was like, of course. So uh, maybe we can go ahead and insert that video here. 
Hey, you, do you know that you are the most dangerous thing on earth? Well, according to some people, you are because you create carbon. Our obsession with carbon is everywhere. We're reminded constantly about our individual carbon footprints and what companies are doing to reduce their own. People are always talking about reducing their carbon footprint. We get sold offsets when we fly and love buying from net zero companies and get guilt tripped into planting trees or taking fewer trips if we put out too much carbon. Even Prince Charles has said he doesn't like using his helicopter anymore, saying it's not a good look when it comes to carbon. But what if this was all a lie? What if this carbon mania was created by the world's most powerful companies to help them make a lot more money? Well, unfortunately, when it comes to carbon, these what ifs are more truth than fiction. In reality, this carbon footprint thing is mostly total And of course, like everything else I talk about on this channel, it was mostly created out of the desire to make a lot more money. So to tell a story, I'm gonna take you on a dirty journey around the world, starting with the phrase carbon footprint. So how was this phrase created? <laughs> you might be thinking that it's an environmental group that came up with it, or maybe a group of hippies, someone that really cared about the planet, someone that is so passionate about our environment. Well, actually, no. <laughs> And I guarantee you would never guess who actually came up with this phrase. The term carbon footprint was created by these guys, British Petroleum, otherwise known as BP. The same BP that's the fifth largest producer of oil and gas products on the planet. And the very same company responsible for creating this, the second largest oil spill in history. BP created the term carbon footprint in 2004 as part of a massive global advertising campaign, which they spent millions of dollars on to educate the public about their new fancy term. And also to make sure we know how much we're individually doing to damage our planet. Now you might be thinking, hmm, why is an oil company trying to get people to think about carbon when it is the oil companies that are responsible for creating a product that is putting out the carbon into the atmosphere? Well, there's a very good reason for that. And it's because BP didn't want to take the fall for it. In the early 2000s, oil companies could see the writing on the wall. The environmental movement was growing and more pressure was being put on organizations to do the right thing for our planet. And considering oil companies are responsible for producing the product most responsible for damaging the earth, they knew they'd be the biggest targets for people's anger. So in a genius move of PR and marketing, BP decided to strike first. After creating the term carbon footprint, they were the first in the world to create a calculator that individuals could use to figure out their own carbon output. After that, they spent millions on a new advertising campaign, boasting how they were the first oil company to take steps towards addressing climate change. All of this making them seem like the good guys and laying the blame on individual people as the real source of carbon. In short, They wanted to make you believe that the problem of carbon is all your fault. And if the planet is suffering, you should not be pointing the finger at them. You should instead look in the mirror and lay blame on your polluting, disgusting self instead. And while you were doing that, thankfully BP was taking drastic action in order to reduce the amount of carbon that they were putting out themselves. Actually, no, they weren't doing any of that at all. Instead, they hired advertising agency Ogilvy and Mather to ramp up their positive climate messaging. They paid the firm $250 million to heavily promote the image that BP was a positive force fighting climate change. Ogilvy created the Helios campaign, which heavily focused on environmental messaging and promoted BP's investments in greener sources of energy. But behind the scenes, BP wasn't practicing what it was preaching. They continued to ramp up their exploration efforts, investing more to ensure that oil and gas 
gas production would continue to grow each year. And while yes, they did invest some money into new green energy products, but it was only a tiny fraction of what they invested into fossil fuels. And they actually spent more money advertising their green energy products to the public than they actually spent on creating green energy. In short, it was all a lot of public relations and not a lot of action, but unfortunately, this is not where the story ends. BP has been very vocal about implementing carbon taxes to hit polluters where it hurts, spending millions to give the appearance they want positive change, even taking out full-page newspaper ads calling to protect our environment. However, they've spent even more money making sure a carbon tax doesn't happen. In 2018, they spent $13 million lobbying against a carbon tax in just one US state. In 2019, BP spent more money lobbying against climate action than any other publicly owned company on Earth, investing $53 million to block or delay the creation of new laws that would have a positive impact on our planet. And in 2020, BP spent millions promising the public that they would significantly cut their fossil fuel output by 2030, while at the same time continuing to fund anti-climate lobby groups in nations like the United States and Australia. So basically, BP tried to blame you for the carbon problem first, and then they brainwashed you with environmental messages so that they could conduct their dirty business as usual behind the scenes. As I've said many times on this channel before, to me, actions speak a lot louder than words. And in my opinion, BP's actions paint a very different picture to what they want you to believe about them. But what do you think? Let me know down below. Now, if you think that the rabbit hole of the carbon footprint couldn't get any deeper, while yes, BP was the one that created the term carbon footprint, they are definitely not the only company that is benefiting from this term today. In the past, BP and other oil giants have conspired together to slow down the production of electric cars, as well as to diminish the growth of more fuel-efficient modes of transportation and to block the use of more cleaner fuels. In 2019, Shell sent out global messaging promising to become carbon neutral by 2050, while at the same time saying that they have no choice but to continue investing in oil. So of course, oil companies are making billions of dollars investing in high carbon activities while they are trying to blame you for all of it. But here's the crazy thing. They are actually the ones responsible for creating a brand new industry that is helping them and many other people close to them become very, very rich. To help tackle the problem of carbon, carbon offsets were created. The global carbon offset market already brings in billions from well-meaning people who want to reduce their own carbon footprint. Right now, it's estimated that the market for carbon offsets is worth more than $250 billion per year and is growing at a phenomenal rate. Selling carbon offsets and carbon credits is already a highly profitable business. Just like stocks, carbon credits are traded as commodities that are bought and sold by investors for profit. In fact, one investment firm suggests that very soon trading carbon could become the biggest market on the planet, estimating that it has the potential to grow to become 10 times larger than the entire global oil industry. In Europe, the biggest polluters in the region are already making up to 50 billion euros a year through carbon credit schemes. People are already taking advantage of the world's obsession with carbon, scamming governments who have carbon offset policies. In France, the fraud of the century saw a group swindle billions of euros from the EU's carbon trading scheme. And BP? Well, as you might expect, trading carbon has become a major part of its focus, making up to 10% of its yearly trading activities and adding up to 100 million per year to its bottom line. Now, I'm not suggesting that carbon isn't an issue for 
our planet. But I am trying to put into perspective that whenever there is a ludicrous amount of money to be made in anything, companies almost always do what they do best. And that is to direct the narrative to helping them make as much money as they possibly can. I illustrated a perfect example of this when I made a video a few weeks ago about the plastic industry, which is linked down below. Now, is there anything actually we can do about this whole carbon thing? Well, unfortunately, this isn't actually so clear. Although oil companies want you to believe that you're the reason we have a carbon problem, in reality, most of your carbon choices are out of your hands. In most nations, over 50% of all carbon is the responsibility of decisions made by your government, things like public and military spending. And while most people would be happy to get the governments to make positive change in these areas, it's basically impossible because they're fighting against oil companies who are collectively spending billions to ensure new environmental laws never get written or passed. In reality, oil has helped advance humanity to the point we're at today. But like all technology we've outgrown, maybe it's time for us to move on to something better. Unfortunately for us, the world's oil companies are standing in the way of this progress and manipulating the market to line their own pockets for as long as they possibly can. As you can see, it's all pretty gross. Now, I'm not saying that we as individuals shouldn't be doing better and we shouldn't be taking care of the planet. Of course we should be. Say that you're in a position where you can use less oil, or you can use less plastic, or you can make less damage to the environment. Do that. And I know in your heart of hearts, this is what you want to do. But do not let a oil company guilt trip you into believing that you are the source of this whole problem, while they are the ones that got us into this mess in the first place, and they continue to manipulate the truth in order to make more money for themselves. As I've always said, follow the money, because it tells a much more accurate story about the intentions of a company rather than their words ever will. And just remember, truth is out there, but so are lies. So, ladies and gentlemen, it is all your fault. It's all my fault. But there's no culpability with the oil companies. Matter of fact, let no good crisis go to waste, my friend. Because not only are they still making billions, but they've created a secondary market of carbon offsets that have created a $250 billion enterprise. And they're trading these as commodities just like they do in the stock market. I mean, come on. You can't even make this stuff up. I mean, so often, Mario, people ask, really, you do a conspiracy podcast? Like, what what really is out there that people don't already know? I mean, yeah, you know, there might be a few things hidden here and there. Dude, this stuff is in plain sight. And not only are they taking a crisis like climate change and blaming the people who have the least ability. Like she says, what, what is it that we can do when it comes to, to – uh, these, these carbon emissions uh, – carbon emissions, mind you, a subject that was created by the oil industry so that they can create a calculator to prove to you how much of a dick you are, right? Like they want to go ahead and throw into your face that you're the problem while they're the ones profitizing off of this. But like she said, what, what is it that we can do when it comes to these policies? Not much. The people who are driving these policies are governments. And then that – I mean right or wrong, some of the policies that are trying to be implemented right now through the Biden administration is driving the, the oil industry to fucking massage the truth, as you can say, even more.
right? They want to go ahead and they want to tax us on our carbon. They want to go ahead and they want to say, uh, I, I re remember seeing a, a report not too long ago that there's a community in England that is going to create a carbon tax saying that you can only leave the county or the, or the Sussex or, or, or whatever the province is no more than 100 days a year. And and, and the, the chancellor or the or the mayor of this province was saying that's going to be the policy whether people want to want to contribute to it or not. Like the carbon tax, the, the carbon footprint is a made up term. And it's it's the people who we are electing and the people who are getting elected by these policies that are running the policies and it's, it's the same thing that Greg said in his video. I really like what he, it was that he said because he really illuminated and whenever his quote was. Do you remember the big uh, the big spill that BP had? I remember South Park did a, a piece on it. Oh, it yeah, down in, down in the Gulf, right? They couldn't cap the right. The, uh, and there the was, well. it was so bad. It was, it was so, so bad. The only thing they did was they come on TV once and we're sorry. South Park did it so good. He was just like, yeah. sorry, sorry. Right. It was, we're sorry. This is your fault. This is all your fault. The BP oil spill in the Gulf continues to get worse every day. As public anger towards the BP company grows, their president released this statement. Hello, I'm Tony Haywood, president and CEO of BP. Our accidental drilling spill again in the Gulf is a tragedy that should have never happened. And to all those affected, I want to say, we are deeply sorry. We're sorry. We're sorry. We're sorry. Sorry. BP has taken full responsibility for cleaning up the spill in the Gulf. And in doing so, we have changed our name from Beyond Petroleum to Dependable Petroleum. DP. We no longer fuck the earth. We DP it. it politicians aren't going to do shit about it, man. They're not going to do anything no. about it. Why? Because they're paid for. They're paid for by these companies. They're paid for by big oil. They're paid for by all of these different lobbyists, whether it's a big pharma, big oil. These are the juggernauts, right, that pay right. your politicians. That's why... There's never going to be a change because it's all financial gain and where there's money, there's greed and that never changes. And that's going to continue to be that way. It's, it's, it's always going to be that way. I think uh, the only thing we can do is, is try to wake more and more people up from right. this uh, disgusting slumber. Right. And, and that quote, I found that quote real quick. And, and I think, it, I think it's very pertinent for this. He says, uh, when the facts are clear, our choices are obvious. And that's that's the goal of this propaganda. They want to muddy up the facts. They don't want to release the facts. They don't want you to know that temperature rises before carbon. You know, they don't want you to know that a term that causes us guilt or our moral guilt is a made up term. Matter of fact, if it was just the oil industry, okay, if it was just the industry of, of uh fossil fuels that was causing this we're, we're actually going to get into a few different industries and all these industries at the end of the day are being pushed onto us because they're saying that these are green technologies because they are saying um, 
these industries are, are beneficial for the climate. Um, but but this this next industry, I want to go ahead and make sure everybody's uh, aware of, and 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 uh, I want to pique your guys' interest is the plastic industry. Now, Mario, have you ever heard of the plastic conspiracy theory? Uh, yes, yes. The the movement from you know the early two thousands on, uh, the more more we get into the internet age, more and more women have become more and more plastic. Uh, it's <laughs> just the idea of, you know, the, the idea look for a woman that everybody, or so we're told that a way a woman is supposed to look just completely plastic. And, uh, you know, why not? No, no, that's no, no, I'm not referring about not that. Plastic. No, that's not it. <laughs> no, and, that's no. not... and I will say, once you guys see this next presentation that we're going to give to you guys, the fact that those plastics are put into women and some of the problems that that causes with the health, it, it should be done away with as well. But uh, there, there's a, a really good documentary, and this one's, uh, I think, about 15 minutes long, right, Mario? Uh, it's it's uh, How Big Plastics Fooled Us. And it's interesting because plastic is at least advertised as a cure-all or a, a, a beautiful thing. And, and initially it is, right? It, it helped us through World War II. And, and there are some good things with some plastics, but there are certain plastic materials that are just devastating to the, to the climate. People just don't want to discuss it. We, we could just recycle those plastics, right? It's okay. As long as we recycle them, uh, um, it's okay. Interesting you bring that up. Well, let's, let's find out if we can. So you're a plastic company. You team up with oil companies to create a miracle product that can do pretty much anything. It's cheap, durable, easily accessible, and easy to mass produce. What more could you ask for? I know, I feel like I'm dreaming. And by the 1980s, you're in your prime. The only problem is plastics can't be destroyed. They just keep piling up and up and up. Now, this is actually not a problem for you. The more plastic that piles up means the more plastic you're selling. But the real problem is the general public. See, the masses crave to feel that they're good people, that they're the righteous ones, the moral ones, fighting against evil. And polluting the planet with plastic trash that takes upwards of a half a millennia to decompose makes you an easy target for the plebs. In their eyes, you're the evil scapegoats. So the general public starts protesting the plastics industry. Now, this is bad, because you know the success of anything, political movements, educational movements, businesses, entire industries, including the plastics industry, rely on the approval of the public. If the public turns on you, you're done. So you need to come up with a solution, something that will change the public's perception of plastic, something that will allow them to keep consuming plastic without feeling guilty about themselves for destroying the planet. The only problem is, most plastic is literally not recyclable. It's not just that you can't recycle plastic, it's that the process to do so is so expensive and labor-intensive that making new plastic will always be cheaper. So you settle on the next best thing. This is the recycling symbol created in 1970. And this is the resin identification code, a symbol created by the plastics industry in 1988. A symbol that's on almost every piece of plastic you buy today. Now, if you're saying to yourself that symbol looks shockingly similar to the official recycling symbol, you'd be correct, because that was by design. A design to intentionally deceive the general public into believing the plastic you buy is recyclable. 
Yes, recycling is a literal lie concocted by the plastics industry to sell you more plastic. And this is how it was pulled off. How much plastic could the world possibly use? Mm. Oh, that's not so much. Mm. So... Most of what makes people feel good about recycling is based on misinformation. The biggest plastic manufacturer today is the Dow Chemical Company. The Dow Chemical Company has over $19 million in debts. Plastic. 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 What are plastics? Are they vegetable or mineral? Plastic production started in the early 1900s. It was marketed as a material of a thousand uses. And it was making money and gaining popularity slowly. But it was nowhere near its real earning potential. Then World War II hit. And since economic power was just as important as military power, wars aren't free after all, the government started prioritizing the production of this new material that wasn't just very useful, but also very profitable. You see, the military had to get money from somewhere to keep fighting the war, and plastic was an industry with a lot of potential just waiting to be exploited. So during World War II alone, plastic production in the US increased by 300%. Plastic took the place of steel in cars and warplanes, it replaced paper and glass packaging, and even wood furniture. Plastics will play as large a role in peace as they do in war. Here is a plane containing hundreds of plastic parts. Here, another bonded by plastics. This paratrooper floating down to welcome Mother Earth is depending on plastics to get him there safely. And since plastic is made from oil and natural gas products, plastic companies suddenly emerge from the oil giants like Exxon, Mobil, Chevron, and DuPont. And with the backing of the fossil fuel industry, there was nowhere to go but up. It's kind of hard to illustrate just how much of a game changer plastic was for companies. Imagine spending all these man hours machining these expensive materials like metal, wood, and glass for years and years and years. And then comes along this wonder material that was not only orders of magnitude cheaper, but could be molded into any shape and was durable. Everyone was using it for pretty much everything, from chairs to cheap jewelry to car parts. But because it was so durable and useful, these plebs started hanging onto their plastic products. They weren't throwing them away after one single use. This was a problem for you. If people reuse your plastic indefinitely, you can't make them a repeat buyer, which is where all the real money is at. So the plastic industry launched a massive campaign, millions of dollars worth of ads, encouraging people not to be such unsophisticated peasants. Reusing dirty plastic? Ew. Just throw it away after one use. What's the harm? It's so cheap to replace. And it started to work. But then came the hippies. You see, not everyone saw the beauty in plastic as you did. And when they started noticing your ads telling everyone to just chuck out their plastic and buy new ones, the plastic industry became the prime target for destroying the environment, which led to America's first ever Earth Day holiday in 1970 to protest the use of plastic and other pollutants. One in 10 Americans took part. Now, obviously, this number of people going up against your industry is not good. If everyone found out the extent of just how bad plastics were for the environment, how they can't be destroyed and how it kills animals, you would be out of business. So you concocted a genius plan. Instead of fighting the hippies, you would join them playing both sides. I'm playing both sides so that I always come out on top. So you, the other plastic companies, and the fossil fuel companies create a front organization called Keep America Beautiful. 
a very wholesome and conspicuous name. And to kick things off, you create the Crying Indian ad. People start pollution. People can stop it. It's literally called the Crying Indian. I did not make that up. Hilariously, the Crying Indian was actually an Italian actor named Iron Eyes Cody. And apparently, impersonating Native Americans was a specialty. This ad played on TVs all over America. And for a hot minute, it seemed like Earth Day protests were really making a difference. Here were the actual plastic companies telling people to stop littering and to be more conscious of the environment so the Indian doesn't cry. Sure, you could have spent the money finding ways to make plastic more reusable, but why do that when you can just placate the masses by making it look like you're trying to change? And it worked. People started throwing their trash away, and it even helped start the very first few recycling plants. And those few recycling plants gave way to the best idea yet. By 1970, plastic products that were recyclable, like milk jugs and soda bottles, had the official recycling symbol stamped on them. That is good news. Plebs don't have to feel guilty anymore about buying plastic milk and soda bottles. The bad news is that milk and soda bottles make up just a tiny percentage of all the plastic out there, with most of it not being recyclable. But there is still hope. The public mind has now associated this symbol with being good for the planet. So all you have to do is latch onto that association. So you come up with your own version of the recycling symbol. You make the arrows a little bit thinner, you slap a number in the center of it, and then you lobby to slap this symbol onto every plastic product in existence. Here's the official recycling symbol, and here is the resin identification marker, or resin identification code, concocted by the plastic industry. There are seven different resin identification codes, yet realistically, only two out of the seven types of plastics can be recycled. But it worked. Consumers didn't know what these big numbers meant. All they saw was what looked like a recycling symbol. So they just assumed that all plastic products with the symbol were recyclable. Buying plastic no longer meant that they were destroying the planet. So they kept on consuming. When in reality, you knew the truth. That plastic recycling would never work. That it would always be too expensive. That plastic degrades every time it was recycled. So it could only really be reused two or three times. But that didn't matter anymore because the public's guilt was satisfied. If the public thinks the recycling is working, then they're not going to be as concerned about the environment. And although these codes should have made the life of recyclers easier in theory, because they can now easily separate what is recyclable from what isn't, it had the opposite effect. It made recycling almost impossible now, because people were throwing way more junk into the recycle bin. In the U.S., we're recycling less than 50% of our bottles and cans. Join PepsiCo in the recycling of every last bottle and can. And the advertising campaigns didn't end there. Hundreds of ads, hundreds of campaigns, all encouraging people to recycle their plastics so they could protect the planet. One plastic lobbyist famously said, What we need to do is advertise our way out of this. The bottle may look empty, yet it's anything but trash, says one ad from 1990, showing a plastic bottle bouncing out of a garbage truck. It's full of potential. We've pioneered the country's largest, most comprehensive plastic recycling program to help plastic fill valuable uses and roles. I'm reusing this plastic jug and making it into a funnel and a tool holder. Jars, nuts, bolts, screws, nails. Reuse it for the future, it's worth it. 
These ads were made to look like they came from environmentalists, when in reality, it really came from the fossil fuel companies behind all this plastic in the first place. Whenever the public became outraged, you would fund more recycling initiatives. And when the public died down, that funding was pulled. With all this advertising came the introduction of single-use plastics, like straws, shopping bags, bottled water. A material designed to last forever was being thrown away after one use. But don't worry, because you can recycle them, building up the industry's revenue to an insane $1.2 trillion a year. Cigarette companies and the diamond cartel are often credited as some of the greatest marketers of all time because of the feats they pulled off. But their practices eventually became somewhat well-known to the public. But the plastic industry? Today, hardly anyone even knows about the ruse that was pulled off. Some recycling makes sense. Reusing aluminum saves lots of energy. But just about everything else is a scam. recycling does for Darwin and its environment, but a few simple mistakes can mean the difference between recycling right and wasting our recycling efforts. Putting plastic bags in the yellow bins, for example, can send tons of good recycling to landfill. So don't let our efforts go to waste. Learn to recycle for good. Today, although more and more of the types of plastic can be recycled, it either costs way more money compared to just making more plastic, or the act of recycling itself is even worse for the environment. Paper recycling involves bleaching and de-inking, things that can pollute the environment even more. Transporting materials to recycling plants out of states can cause even more pollution than the recycling would make up for. All recycling isn't necessarily good and isn't necessarily environmentally benign. Well, I live in Bozeman, Montana, and in order to recycle glass bottles, we ship them down to Golden, Colorado. And in places like LA, using 400 more garbage trucks to collect recyclable waste, most of it won't be recycled in the first place, just as to air pollution and more taxes. After Los Angeles mandated recycling, they discovered they needed another 400 garbage trucks to pick up the new container. Today, less than 10% of all plastic is recycled. But the impressive part is that no one is the wiser. So where does the rest of that 90% go? When you look at plastic, you know how it helps things stay fresh and safe and light and unbreakable and strong and easy to carry. But take another look. Plastic also saves energy because it helps make cars lighter to save gas. And plastic insulation helps save energy at home. Even these strong plastic bags help save energy because they take less energy to make than other grocery bags. To learn more, call this number for a free booklet. And take another look at plastic. Most of the 300 million tons of plastic waste produced each year that isn't recycled ends up in landfills. But not all of it ends up there. Around 10 million tons ends up in the ocean each year as well. That's the equivalent of one garbage truck full of plastic being dumped into the ocean every single minute, according to some estimates. This could be accidental due to heavy rain and wind moving trash into the ocean, or it could be from illegal dumping, with most of it coming from Asian countries we sell our trash to. And since plastic isn't biodegradable, most of it slowly breaks into smaller and smaller pieces over time. These tiny pieces of plastic are called microplastics, and they either form a sludge layer in the middle of the ocean or end up being eaten by fish. And no matter if you're a raging environmentalist SJW or a hardcore conservative, this creates a problem for you. Not only does it kill marine life like dolphins and whales, we all know about that, but that same plastic ends up seeping its way into practically everything we eat. 
It's in the delicious sushi I'm addicted to, other forms of seafood, it's in the salt taken from the ocean water, it's in things that don't even come from the ocean like fruits and vegetables, with apples having the highest concentration of microplastics, and broccoli and carrots trailing behind. And sometimes it's even found in the air we breathe. Decades of plastic use have contaminated our air, water, and soil. Eating just a bite of an apple can now mean eating hundreds of thousands of bits of plastic at the same time. And just like when cigarettes first came out, there wasn't decades of smoking history to base studies off of, so doctors just assumed it wasn't bad for you, giving smoking their stamp of approval. Today, we still don't have a clear picture on what the long-term effects of consuming plastic are. Yes, we love plastic so much that we become one with the same material concocted by plastic and oil giants. Um, okay, so we can't recycle all of those plastics? I don't even know where to start. Um... We can't even recycle most of those plastics. 10%. Only 10% of plastics are recycled. Not only that. It costs more money I... to recycle those, those plastics than it would be just to, you know, produce more, right? It's, it's unbelievable. Like, I, I got a couple notes from that documentary, and, and all these notes, I, I don't even know where to start because when L.A. tried to implement recycling bins into the community, they had to hire and, and, and get 400 more garbage trucks into the fleet. How much diesel and how much carbon did that put into the atmosphere in L.A.? I mean, the they talk about recycling paper. Well, the only way you can recycle that paper and, and use it again in, in you know traditional ways is you got to bleach that paper. How much of that runoff is created? You got to de-ink it, right? And and the biggest the biggest corruption I know for a fact outside of sheets, and, and you know. I'm, I'm just using this as a personal reference. You go outside of sheets, you see these recycling bins, and they whenever I came across this information, people they don't even have the proper recycling symbol. The resin symbol is so similar to the recycling symbol that they again co-opted something that was supposed to help the environment. They co-opted something and they piggybacked off again our moral character and said, yes. We're the, this is something that can be recycled. Look, we've we've got the recycling symbol on this plastic. You know, it's almost and, like it was designed let, that way. It, it's exactly was designed that way, right? If if you remember in the video, only one of or only two of the seven resins are even recyclable. The rest of them they can't even recycle. So if you go, you put a plastic into a plastic bin, even if you find a bin that has almost like a, the, the the real recycling symbol is the triangle right it's got kind of like the floppy arrow like a, almost like a, a puppy's ear right flipping over and it, it's almost like a, a ribbon type flop over ribbon whereas the resin is just a straight line like a straight triangle line with no sort of they're just straight arrows so you, you got to be careful where you even throw your plastic because if you don't throw it in the right bin it's just going to go straight into trash. We sell our trash to Asian countries who just dump it in the... Are you kidding me? They just dump it right and in the ocean. Who's getting that money whenever we sell the trash? 
You think that's going back into the public sector? It's going no, back it's going into the private more plastics. Right. And <laughs> man, dude, that video. And that what do they do laid, with some of those plastics, Jeffrey? What did they say we do with some of those plastics? We burn it. Oh, I mean, come on. Dude. And how do you burn it? it? You you burn it using fossil fuels? You burn it using fossil fuels. It's so intrusive. It's so the, the, the industry is so co-opted. It, it, it's just – it's unbelievable that most people don't know this information. And you know what? I, I can't even judge because before about six months ago, I didn't know about this information. And I, I, I pretend or at least like to think that I'm informed, yet I'm still learning stuff every day. And this stuff is scary because if, if you don't think this stuff is important, we're just not paying attention. And, and – we're supposed to recycle for the climate, right? It's it's a, supposed to be a positive thing, but recycling plastics, you you can't even trust the 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 infrastructure that has been placed before us to be able to recycle it to actually do what it is that they claim they're going to do. You know what, Jeff Rowe? I, I think I have the answer here, <clears throat> and and uh, you know it seems like everybody is going this way and especially the car industry the automobile industry um it's almost like nobody has any type of uh financial interest in electric cars or uh you know batteries or anything that goes into batteries so why don't we just uh why don't we stop making fossil fuel vehicles and go the way of uh battery powered electric vehicles why why don't we start doing that jeff rose doesn't that sound like a good idea that'll That'll show the big oil companies, right? <sighs> Will it? I mean, I know where you're going with this, and and it, it's it's going to be an element that we're going to probably end up on. But before we get there, I, w- I want to hone in on the on this plastic conspiracy a little bit more. Just just entertain me just for a little bit longer, because what I think is important about this plastic and the plastic industry and and how invasive it is in our everyday society. We've talked about this subject matter, and again, this is another thing that we've discussed before where it seems like everything seems to circle back and everything plays a part in this whole genre of of quote-unquote conspiracy. This goes to the whole idea of microplastics, right? This goes to a whole idea of all the shit that's in our food supply. It goes into all the crap that is in our water supply. This is a fascinating point that uh, actually Joe Rogan had a couple of good things on it, but uh, quickly to go he, ahead and touch base on, on, on the video we played. He doesn't How care amazing. though. He's a racist and a fascist, right? Oh, oh yeah. Right, right. Yeah. And, and, you know, he takes horse dewormer, so don't listen to him. This One of the scariest things that I, I took from that classic video was the fact that there are so many microplastics in our environment that if you take a bite of an apple, you're taking, you're consuming so many microplastics that you would be surprised if you saw the breakdown. What did they say? Something along the lines of the apples and the apple trees are absorbing more microplastics than most other fruits. And every bite, uh, it, it's, well, did, I, I'm not even sure. I can't even remember exactly. Did they give uh, a microdose in the video. If, if they didn't, um, we'll see if we can't find that information. But there's a certain 
microdose of microplastics in apples. Apple is supposed to be symbolic of a lot of things in, in, in our society, right? You know, it's the forbidden fruit. It's, you know, this, it's that. It's supposed to be a healthy fruit, right? People juice it. People do a lot of things with it. it it's a, a main source of, of, of food and nutrients. Microplastics are everywhere in our environment, and we, we can't escape it. You know, whether you're vegan or, or whether you're, you know, a carnivore, doesn't matter, right? The, the plastics industry ha has bastardized our environment more than anything else. Most people don't know a lot of the elements that was presented in that documentary. So much so that something as simple and safe and reliable like the recycling symbol has been co-opted. Just just fascinating. And and the path I was going with Joe Rogan was we, we actually have one of his shorts that we're going to implement here. Uh, he talks about phthalates and the plastics in our environment and the microplastics. So let's go ahead and play that. It's all about phthalates and how phthalates are getting into people's blood supplies from plastics and how it's directly affecting our reproductive systems. Mm. It's making men's dick smaller and oh, balls no. smaller and taints smaller. The way they identify mammals, males or females, the male's taint is 50 to 100% larger. And the introduction of phthalates, I know these from studies, when you introduce phthalates into the blood supply of these creatures, like mice and rodents and shit like that, yeah. all of their taints shrink. And that's exactly what's happening to people. And yeah. we have phthalates in our blood. So they do these blood tests on people, and they find all these microplastics and all this residue from petrochemical products. And if you look at when petrochemical products are introduced and plastics are introduced in America, and then look at sperm counts, look at miscarriage rates, look at dick sizes, all that stuff, testicle sizes, it's all shrinking. I'll skip that part. All shrinking. <laughs> hey, if a girl, it's all if shrinking. a girl licks your taint, does she get credit for eating man ass? So, yeah, I, I saw another video and i if i'm not mistaken i believe this was uh, a presentation by uh greg Braden as well and he was talking about phthalates in the environment and he said there was a study done in 1972 about sperm count the average sperm count of of the american male was right around 99 million swimmers per cubic inch or whatever however the the measurement was but the important number is 99 million swimmers right you get what I'm saying here, you know, sperm cells. And that same study was done in 2020. And the average amount of swimmers in the current adult male is 40 million swimmers. Now, reproductive scientists say anything under 50 million is cause for concern because it reduces drastically the ability to procreate. It increases things like birth defects, failed pregnancies, uh, miscarriages, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But what I am trying to describe here is another subject matter that climate change is gravitating towards whenever we're talking about, hey, we're supposed to do this. We're supposed to recycle. We're supposed to and, – and the whole thing, the reason why I keep beating on this idea of, of recycling is because we're told to recycle to save the planet because of climate change, but yet – the way we currently recycle plastics is not an efficient way to do it. And in actuality, you think you're doing something good, but you're contributing to the microplastics in the environment because what it, we're being sold 
is this is the safe thing to do when in actuality and function and functionality how they're actually going about recycling is they're telling you they're recycling but in reality they're throwing half they're throwing 90 percent of it away so it's a bold-faced lie it's ending up in our air our food our water so in a way yeah it could cause a mental dysphoria so recycling is killing you in a way it's like like joe was talking about you know the phthalates are, are creating a decline in testosterone right it's creating a decline in in hormones, which if you guys go back to his his podcast, I'm not exactly sure which one it was. Uh, maybe it was about a year ago that he interviewed the the female scientist, that reproductive scientist. Uh, but the phthalates, the other major problem is it's causing a reduction in hormones, which, I mean, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring the elephant out of the room and say. You know, I, I know there's a lot of people struggling psychologically with gender dysphoria, and who's to say? The reason why there's such an increase in gender dysphoria. Now, this isn't this isn't an accusation of it being something wrong. It, it's it's taking a, a measure of saying that it's actually a real problem. People are feeling this gender dysphoric issue, and the reason is is because. In utero, they were being exposed to these phthalates and these microplastics. And now as they are maturing into adults, you have these males who who initially, if they hadn't been exposed to this toxin, right, for the lack of a better term, it's a toxin in the environment, maybe they would not have these psychological issues or maybe they wouldn't have these identity issues. It could very well be. That some of the issues we're having is because of phthalates, because of hormone dysphoria, because uh, uh, maybe a purpose-driven program of, dare I say, depopulation. Just, well, just an just a thought. I mean, not only that, you don't have to worry because the FDA is going to approve a certain amount of. Uh, you know, phthalates in your food anyway. So as long as the FDA <sighs> says it's okay, we're golden. And if it increases, we'll just approve a little more. I don't know. Again, I just, you know, he even, eh, I, I think he, he even jokes uh, quickly about the fact that these phthalates actually also cause shrinkage of the male member, um, which that's exactly what I'm going to go with from now on. I'm just going to tell everybody it's not my fault. It's the phthalates. Instead of laughing at me, you should, uh, you know, maybe be a little more considerate to my feelings. I'm a victim. Yeah, we're victims of phthalate poisoning. Did I? St- okay. Our, anyway. our phallus had phthalate poisoning. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, only, guys. Only, only you and I will get on here and talk to so many people about this, which is, I'm sure they, they're trying to turn us off right now. They're like, Come on. Guys. No, right, right, right. Uh, but no, jokingly, some people do have psychological issues with that, and, and it forces some people not to want to be intimate with somebody else because they have this this inferiority complex. So again, I mean, I know jokingly, uh, we might be joking about it, but it does still play another part in, in people not wanting to be able to 
procreate or, or be intimate or create families. And, and at the end of the day, I, I think that's a, a real element missing in America today is, is the family unit. That's okay. Cause they'll just, they'll counterbalance that with, uh, with a created chemical drug that the FDA also approved. That's the answer. I like a, Oh yeah. Chemistry isn't always the answer. And I think the whole, the whole story behind the plastic industry lying to us is a perfect example of we've really got to be careful about trying to replace everything with chemistry. Again, we, we want to go ahead and we want to hammer this episode the idea that climate change is a thing that we have to be aware of. We have to be good stewards of the planet. But the way in which we're being conditioned and how we're supposed to go about doing that, all of these industries, the majority of these industries are being co-opted by big business. And, and they're, again, they're allowing no good uh, – shoot, I'm out. Now I'm messing it up, Mario. You're rubbing off on me. Let no good crisis go to waste, right? They're, they're finding ways to profit off of this. Again, if I were to ask you, Mario, while the – like you were saying earlier. What's the best way to go ahead and, and save the planet? What's the best way? What's the number one thing we need to do to get away from our quote-unquote carbon footprint? What would, what would be the first thing we could do as a society? What is, what is one of the policies that Joe Biden and his administration is trying to pass? I'll lead an effective strategy to mobilize true international effort to pressure. There wouldn't be electric vehicles, battery-powered vehicles, would it? Would that? Be. I mean, I know that Ford has already announced that they're committing to it. Chevy is committing to it. Uh, Dodge is committing to it. So there you got your three major uh, automotive groups talking about committing to this change, and which all seems to be a great idea. And, I, you know, listen, I know there's a lot of uh, motorheads on our Discord so much as, as I even created a channel specifically for them <laughs> so they could discuss such uh, I, I don't think the question or the argument is that you know an electric car is not powerful enough or fast enough. Uh, we could put that to bed right now. I, I've seen many uh, electric vehicles that are just so much more powerful than a, a gas-powered vehicle. Uh, yeah, internal combustion vehicle, yeah. So right, exactly. So, so they're just so powerful and so fast, and sure. You know, maybe inefficient in a way, but when you come to realize what goes into these batteries, how expensive these batteries are, how much energy is used to charge these batteries, it's a nightmare compared to our fossil fuels that we have now. Instead of us finding a way to use less amount of fossil fuels in the vehicles that we have and being more green that way, they just said, you know what, we're going to do this because we have a financial gain in it, you know, more so the administration now. It's it, it's going to get exponentially worse as far as what we're going to do to our planet using these electric vehicles. Right. I, I think the real question that you're, you're kind of hinting at is what is the sustainability What's the sustainability that you can have an electric vehicle in every home, and, and not only in America, but all of the world, right? Because currently we have the sustainability. We have the technology after 
you know, 150 years of the internal combustion engine that those vehicles are readily available, right? And uh, there, there's a, a there's an ability and an infrastructure to go ahead and, and get you the raw materials to go ahead and make that vehicle run, right? You know, oil, petroleum, whatnot. And the, the question that very few people raise when talking about these huge lithium batteries are the elements that it takes to create those. And at the top, whether it be Tesla, you know, Chevy, Ford, any of these other companies that are going to EVs, or whether it be, you know, industries like the phone industries, right? Whether it be, you know, Google, Motorola, or not Motorola, they're not even around anymore, right? But uh, Apple, right? Any of these other different companies. They're being told that their supplies, their raw materials are coming from sustainable sources. They're coming from from uh, ethical sources. And <laughs> we're finding out quickly and drastically that even that is a coercion. Even that is is a lie, a bold-faced lie. And they're not even trying to hide it at this point. You know what comes to mind. I don't know if anybody remembers this, but do you know what comes to mind? Um, back in June when, you know, the Senate gets together and they do nothing. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, that happens every so often, by the way. Uh, so I don't know if anybody remembers this, but uh, uh, I, don't, I don't know how to pronounce her last name. Debbie St- Stabenhow? 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 St- stupid? Um, Not sure. She made the comment because you know, this was back in June, which gas prices are still high, but they were at its height this past June. Um, she comes to Senate and uh, she says, she says, I, she, she goes on and on about bragging about her expensive electric car and how many gas power vehicles she just passed along the way. And I thought the arrogance of this asshole and I'll call her an asshole. I don't give a shit. The arrogance of this asshole and the, the, the many, many people that are like-minded, like, you know, the, the many, many arrogant idiots in Washington, they don't, they, they, they just think that everybody has the money to go out and buy an electric car. One, and they're so expensive. They really are. Cars in general are expensive, but now you're starting to talk about an electric car. Then you're also talking about, you know, charging the vehicle. For her, just to talk down on all the Americans who own a a gas-powered vehicle was, it it spoke volumes, immediately spoke volumes to me. And it should have everyone else as well. But the fact that she just kind of glazed over it, laughed about it, it, it speaks volumes to how much they don't care about the American people and how out of touch they really are. And the fact that they don't care that they're out of touch. I do have to say just on the issue of uh, uh, gas prices, after waiting for a long time uh, to have enough chips in this country to finally get my electric vehicle, I got it uh, and drove it from Michigan to here uh, this last weekend and went by every single gas station and didn't matter how high it was. And so I'm looking forward to the opportunity for us to move to vehicles that aren't going to be dependent on the um, whims of the oil companies and the uh, international markets. 
listen, all of these people were put into these positions of power for one reason. Well, they were supposed to be put into these positions of power for one reason, and that's to work for you. They don't work for anybody else. They work for you. They work for the American people. However, that's not how it's been for so long, and we've had this discussion many times. They're working for lobbyists now. They're working and their for constituents, the donor class. Constituents, their the corporations, the donor classes, which and is exactly why we find ourselves exactly where we are right now. And that's no different when it comes to uh, electric vehicles. When you talk about people who have investments in, uh, you know, different things like cobalt and lithium. I mean, look at Nancy Pelosi, who has had a big hand, a big hand, along with the, uh, by, you know, different members of the Biden administration and their financial gains with lithium. They know exactly, it, it, since you have those interests, why not push for them? Because you're just right. going to make more money for yourself. They're not, these people aren't looking out for the American. They're looking out for themselves. Right, and to piggyback off of that real quick is the the first example that came to my mind whenever you were using that example was uh, the late-night comedian on uh, – Shoot, what's his name? Uh, Stephen Colbert. He had a monologue whenever gas prices first went through the roof. And part of his monologue, now that I think it's famous, it would probably be pretty easy for people to find. He goes on there and he goes, oh, I don't care how high prices go. They can go $10 a gallon. I got my electric vehicle. I'm willing to pay $4 a gallon. Hell, I'll pay $15 a gallon because I drive a Tesla. Again, he, he's part of this, this media uh, conglomerate that, you know, forces people and, and wants people to be under the impression that if you don't go electric, then morally you're an evil person. Right? So again, they're using this this guilt, this uh quote unquote unquote Catholic guilt that you know the nation was built upon that, you know, we know you're a good person and as a result we're gonna we're gonna prey on that fact. And all the while they're sitting there and they're they're preaching, preaching, preaching. Oh, you got to be a good person. You gotta, you gotta evolve. You gotta, you gotta come to the electric vehicle side. Yet they never once pause to ask the question: How those materials are obtained for those electric vehicles? You ever googled what a lithium landmine looks like? A cobalt mine, because it's a the cobalt, cobalt that actually, yeah, cobalt is, is the the stabilizing mineral. That allows lithium batteries lithium, to, right. to to last as long as they do, and um, just just very Google recently, that. Just Google yeah, that one time. Another Go thing ahead. they don't tell you also is whenever they start. You know, I remember for the longest time in the uh, oh, I want to say uh, late two thousands. There, it, it was uh, it was turbines. Electric turbines was the thing. That was the way of the future. It was green electric turbines. And then they figured out uh, it costs way too much to keep up with these things when they break down. So what did they do? They just scrapped them. Well, and, and real quick, you know, something came up, else came to mind. They do talk about a lot of these electric vehicles. And it's funny. Uh, California has run into this issue where a lot of times these charging stations are actually being powered by coal. They're being, they're being powered by coal power plants. But real quick to touch on your... Nancy Pelosi thought. Uh, but it has nothing to do with the fault line, right? 
<laughs> no, not the fault line. No, we're, we're getting ready to get into a, a video here. Uh, Joe had a guest on that actually infiltrated a bunch of these cobalt mines in Africa. I believe it was the Congo, right? And in the Congo, guess who controls all the mines? He, he, he elaborates on it, and it's China that controls all these mines. It's China that controls nearly 80% of the cobalt being mined in the, in the world, and that is the through line that whenever you talk about Nancy Pelosi having political gains in China, Biden having political connections with China, saying, mm-hmm. oh, well, why would they have these political connections? Why would it matter? Well, it's Pelosi, who was Speaker of the House, who controlled whether or not we needed to change to electric vehicles and it was biden's administration and their goal to say hey listen we want to go to majority electric vehicles by what was it 2030 or 2035 well why would that policy be implemented well because they have political and financial gains and and connections to china why is that important because china controls the cobalt so with that let's let's listen to some of this information that this guest on Joe Rogan podcast had. And we can dig into this um, in more depth. Um, Throughout the whole history of slavery, I mean, I'm going back centuries, never, never in human history has there been more suffering that generated more profit and was linked to the lives of more people around the world ever, ever in history than what's happening in the Congo right now. And the reason I say that is this. The cobalt that's being mined in the Congo is in every single lithium-ion rechargeable battery manufactured in the world today. Every smartphone, every tablet, every uh, uh, laptop, and crucially, every electric vehicle. Um, So you and I, we can't function on a day-to-day basis without cobalt, and three-fourths of the supply is coming out of the Congo. Um, and it's being mined in appalling, heart-wrenching, dangerous conditions. Um, and so that's why people need to know, because uh, by and large, the world doesn't know what's happening in the Congo. It's something that people sort of know peripherally, that, you know, that the, they call them conflict minerals. And, you know, they know that, that they're coming from an area of the world that's very poor. But I don't think people are aware of how horrible it is. There has been, have been some documentaries that have been done on it, and they're all terrifying. Yeah, so, so conflict minerals was phase one, and that's actually not cobalt. Um, what, is, what, what's term, what does it refer to, conflict so minerals? So conflict minerals, uh, also called the 3TG minerals, are tin, tungsten, tantalum, and gold. Um, and those are in the eastern Congo. And that... Um, catastrophe started uh, around the year 2000, uh, late 1990s, 2000, um, shortly after the Rwandan genocide. Um, The militias moved in and Eastern Congo is sitting on some of the largest reserves in the world of those 3TG um, minerals, especially tantalum. And those are all used in microprocessors. And you can think back to, you know, around the year 2000, uh, mobile phones first started coming out and gaining traction. I still remember my little StarTac flip phone that mm-hmm. I had from Motorola. You remember that? Sure. Uh, and all that supply was coming out of Eastern Congo. Militias and warlords were 
um, uh, forcing the local population at gunpoint, machete point, to dig this stuff out. And it was flowing up into the formal supply chain into mostly um, those first-generation cell phones. And uh, that became known as conflict minerals. Uh, cobalt started later. Cobalt really took off about 10, 12 years ago. And it's in another part of the country, in the mining provinces in the southeast of the Congo. And cobalt took off because uh, it was started to be used in lithium-ion batteries to maximize their charge and stability. Um, and it just so happens that the Congo, just as it was sitting on more than half the world's reserves of coal tan and, of course, a lot of gold and diamonds and other things, is sitting on more cobalt than the rest of the planet combined. And it's in a small little patch of the Congo, southeastern corner, a part that used to be called Katanga. And uh, before anybody knew what was happening, Chinese government, Chinese mining companies took control of almost all the big mines. Um, and the local population has been displaced, uh, is under duress, and they dig in absolutely subhuman, gut-wrenching conditions for a dollar a day, feeding cobalt up the supply chain into all the phones, all the tablets, and especially electric cars. And we're looking at a video now. Jamie, what is this? The mines? This is video. So I think so. This is yeah. so crazy to see. This is the bottom of the supply chain of your iPhone, of your Tesla, of your Samsung. I mean, I'm just naming those companies. Right. Uh, it's all of them, right? All of them. We're not just picking on them. And here's what you need to know, Joe, about this video. I, I was the first outsider to get into this mine. Uh, and that's why it's just a really short video that I, I was able to take. This is an industrial cobalt mine where there's not supposed to be one artisanal miner. Now, that's the term used for people who are just digging by hand as opposed to tractors and excavators. There's not supposed to be one here. That's what the story is told at the top of the chain. This mine, and I can name it, it's called Shabara. There's not supposed to be one artisanal miner here, according to the consumer-facing tech companies and EV companies buying this cobalt. Lo and behold, I walk into this place, and this is what I see. There's more than 15,000 human beings crammed into that pit, digging by hand. And if you have sound, you hear the mallets, you hear the shouting, you hear the, the grunts. It's a mass of humanity. You might expect to see a scene like this. So there's a term that gets used, clean cobalt. There's no clean cobalt. It's not real. No, no. It's all marketing. It's all PR. It's a fiction. Just like that place, there's not supposed to be any artisanal mining there. It's all done industrially. That's the, that's the story told at the top of the chain. And people assume, people, I mean, the, the marketing teams at big tech and EV companies assume, well, who's going to go down there and actually walk into the place and grab a video that shows, no, it's actually all raw human force that is clanking that cobalt out of the ground. So there's no clean cobalt. I, there's not a single company on planet Earth that makes a device that has a rechargeable battery in it that can reliably and justifiably claim that their cobalt isn't coming from sources like that. Uh, and that's the truth that needs to get out there. That's the truth people need to understand 
um, uh, because this is a story that goes back generations. There's these fictions told at the top of the chain about what conditions are like at the bottom. And truth seekers have to go find that truth and enlighten civilization so that people, people get a- agitated about it and want to do something about it. So there's no clean cobalt. Let's just make that totally abundantly clear. Uh, and anyone that claims otherwise uh, is either peddling in falsehoods or is recklessly ignorant of the truth. Are there any industrialized cobalt mines that use machinery and don't use slavery and don't use child labor and don't use these people that live in unimaginable poverty? I've never seen one. And I've been to almost all the major industrial cobalt mines. Here's why I say that. Number one, they all or almost all will have scenes like that on them. Thousands of individuals clanking away for a dollar or two a day. Okay? They don't have uh, safety equipment. All that stuff, that cobalt's toxic, toxic to breathe. And they're breathing it in all day. No masks. No masks. No filtration No systems. gloves. No Half those guys are in flip-flops, all right? So um, uh, almost all the industrial mines will have scenes like that. But, you know, when we were talking about the phthalates and everything, and obviously we were talking about the the shrinkage of uh, the male member or whatever, you know, as Joe Rogan says, you know, the testicles, the penis, the taint, all of, you know, anything has to do with the reproductive system is, uh, it's damning and unnatural, obviously. But one of the things that uh, we had talked about briefly on in was the uh, the baby bottles, because now more often than not, baby bottles are made out of plastic. Even if you have those baby bottles with the uh, the bags to chase the air out, help the baby from getting gas, that's still made out of plastic. Uh, you don't see too many glass baby bottles around anymore. And one of the reasons why many pediatricians consistently tell you, do not microwave your baby bottles, it's why. I mean, the, the plastic is still there. You, your baby is still drinking that, uh, you know, and obviously you have to feed your baby. More often than not, you hear that the breastfeeding is the way to go. Now, I also know in my history of having children, for whatever reason, sometimes breastfeeding isn't an option. For whatever the reason is, maybe the baby won't take to it. Maybe, you know, there's other issues, whatever it is. If you can't do that naturally, then obviously you have to feed the baby formula. I don't know. I can't remember the last time I seen a glass bottle, like for for baby feeding. I mean, obviously it's heavier. Glass is going to be heavier than plastic. You know, there's always that risk there. Holding the bottle and making sure that, you know, the, the bottle doesn't fall on your baby's face or whatever or break is, to me, slightly... Not even slightly. It's a lesser risk than feeding your baby through a plastic bottle, and I think this has a lot to do with uh, you know, some of the the decline in population even now because we're we're feeding this stuff to our children as babies. You know, what, what are you what are your thoughts on that? It just seems like it's an assault on on the public. Right? It's, it's something that we discuss constantly. Um, maybe some of the reasons why infants don't take the mother's milk is because the mother herself her hormones are messed up who knows how much this this uh, environmental degradation that's been caused by the plastic industry by the oil industry by other industries um have caused hormonal changes in in mothers as well 
it's a discussion that we have constantly on this podcast, and we want to try to bring a light to it and expose our listeners to a discussion that very rarely is ever held in, in the public domain. Because in the public domain, we're constantly berated with propaganda. You know, going all the way back to earlier in this podcast when we we're talking about things like carbon footprint. You know, I first heard about that whenever I went down the rabbit hole doing research for this episode. It seems like behind every everything that is done in an effort to help the public, there's there's somebody in the background making copious amounts of money. And it's just, I don't know, uh, the whole idea of plastics being basically infiltrated into everything in, in society to utensils, right? Uh, how what, what do people use for picnics during the 4th right. of July, you know? Uh, I've even seen utensils for cooking utensils, like uh, spatulas and whatnot. Rubber. Plastics are everywhere. You, you've got Teflon and cooking pans. It's just, it seems like all these issues are causing hormonal imbalances, which that can very easily be affecting people's chemical balances in their brains, uh, hormonal balances. It is crazy. Yeah. By the way, you know, people always ask, well, you know, why would they allow this? That why would they? Well, it's it's again, the FDA is approving these things. The FDA, who is paid for by the big pharmaceutical, they're getting a payout at the end. It's a big, vicious circle, right? I mean, that's what we're seeing. It's the same people that have their their greedy fingers into what is okay for us here in the United States. Now, I, I know other countries it's not okay. There are certain foods you cannot find in other countries that you can find here, and that's because they're, you know, they're horrible, horrible for you. But they okay it because they have oversight of or the, the Food and Drug Administration, right? They okay this stuff. It gets passed. Next thing you know, like you were saying, there's a chemical balance. Maybe it's mental. Maybe it's physical. Maybe it's uh, cancerous, whatever it is. Then they go, and they're told by Big Pharma, you know, we're, we're going to okay this. It's the oversight, which we went down that rabbit hole whenever we were talking about the FDA and, and how much, uh, according to Forbes, in, uh, was it 2020, I think it was, that uh, Big Pharma pays 79% of the FDA's income. I mean, that's where they get right, their funding. Their budget, that's, right. That's their, their budget. Right. That's where they get their funding from. So, I mean, you're not going to tell your boss that you're not going to go and do something when they tell you to do it or you're fired. You know, you're not going to get paid. You know, there goes your your paycheck to take care of your family. It's uh, there. There are no regulations to that. And I think that's where it really stems from when you see these things being okayed. You know, you can go out and you can buy a, a two liter of Mountain Dew with carcinogen inside of it and the red dye and all these things that have been proven to be harmful. Pl you know, all the plastics, as we're talking about now. And then what happens? Well, then you find out, you know, you've got too much in your bloodstream or, or something like that. Or, you know, all of a sudden you come down with this, uh, you know, you find cancerous cells. Where do you go? You go to your doctor. 
What does your doctor do? Your doctor prescribes you medication. Medication that isn't necessarily organic. It's not going to be good for you. It's going to, you know, patch one problem and create another. And then what? Well, now you got to go and you got to go get medication for the new problem you have. And it's a vicious cycle. It's ongoing. You're, you're nothing more than, than being, uh, you know, your commodity. You're used for, for the drugs that they want to pump through your system, the, uh, the foods, the plastics, you know, there's, there's no care. It's horrible. It's it's a horrible thing to think about that the, uh, the people who have this kind of power over your day-to-day lives and yeah, your day-to-day lives, how many people out there have been, you know, just outside of the side effects, how many people have been suicidal because of it? How many people have gone and taken their own lives because they find out they, they don't want to go through chemo. You know, they don't, they don't want to go through, uh, you know, the side effect of not being able to have a child with their loved one. You know, maybe they find out that they're, they're sterile. They can't do it, but nobody thinks about these things whenever they're passing it along. They're just thinking about, the extra buck or they're thinking about well i need to do this or my family's in the out it all boils down to just that when it comes to me and you it's going to be me over you unfortunately these are the people who have uh you know they have the power to okay the things that we consume so when they say it's okay then the saddest part about all this is so many people and even so many people that i know are completely complacent with the idea that your government wouldn't do something so malicious and not even just the government. Like I says, it's the food and drug administration just branches, right? That they would, they wouldn't allow these things to happen because it's so damning. You don't want to think about that. You don't think that that's possible, but it is, and it's happening. It's most certainly happening and it's happening to everybody. It's, it's, it's a horrific thing to think about. Well, it's, it's compartmentalization, right? It's it's one person making a, a judgment. So, again, like you said, it's, it's not like everybody in the FDA is doing this or it's not everybody in all these other elements. You know, so often with, with conspiracies, people are like, there would have to be so many people behind these ideas for these to be implemented. And no, not really. They're just a bunch of small yeah, uh, individual concessions that people make. Oh, well, it, this isn't going to make a big issue if, if right. we let this product pass or so now most people don't yeah. know about it in those you know in those like you said it's compartmentalized right so if there's uh you know, maybe a handful of people say yeah go ahead and we're going to start the process on us then you have all of a sudden another branch of people and then another branch of people and another branch of people to get these things passed and get them moving along not everybody within those uh administrations they they're not aware of these things. A lot of them, more often than not, are the same people that, you know, I, I'm talking about, you know, well, we wouldn't do that. We wouldn't allow this to happen. Yeah, you are. Right. And then here's the thing, you know, uh, even people who come off and say that, hey, listen, you know, I'm a good person. I recycle. I'm a good person. I don't consume, you know, sodas. I don't, I don't do these type of things and I don't, con- you know, I don't purchase these products like these plastic products. But yet, here's here's a question: That person that does consume Mountain Dew, right, or, or a soda, when they go and they say, "Oh, well, I'm going to be doing something good. I'm going to go ahead and recycle. I'm going to go ahead and put this in the recycling bin." And as we presented earlier in this podcast, the majority of those products, even if they're in the recycling bin, don't get recycled. 
10% of it gets recycled, right? Right, right. So the person who is, you know, the prototypical new ager yoga person is doing all the right things. Supposedly that, you know, we're being told through, through propaganda yet they're suffering just as much as the rest of us because elements have been implemented into society that say, you do this, you do this, you do this, and this defines you as a good person. Yet right. that plastic right. is finding its way back into the environment, which is why it doesn't matter whether you're a yoga instructor or a 500-pound middle American in, in, in Nebraska. You're still going to find the same phthalates in each person's blood. So that that's why this subject – Whenever it's not discussed in a true manner, right, and it's not looked at as a, a community issue, which it is, but it's it's co-opted, right? This this we're told, well, you've got to do this because you're the problem. You've got to do this because you're the reason why climate change is happening. You've got to do this because you're the reason why everything is being polluted. And in reality, you have these companies that are piggybacking off this idea of altruism and they're creating entire industries for themselves and and then propagating it and saying yeah you you must do this right uh you and i both came across a video not re not not too long ago it was short where a lot of these ideas sort of are wrapping themselves up into each other everything from digital currency and cryptocurrency into a carbon tax Right. And and possibly carbon actually being a form of currency. And, uh, you know, when, when when doing this video, I wanted to go ahead and, and share this short with everybody. I think it's about 60 seconds long if we want to go ahead and insert that here. Yeah, it, I definitely will insert that here. But I just you know, one more thing while we're talking about this before I insert this video, I just want to make sure that everybody understands. And, and I do know, you know, it is in our nature to you know, come across these things, you know, it's, it's very hard to cancel all of these things out everywhere, but I just feel that the reason why we're talking about this is we're not being careful. We're not being cautious. There's again, we're not doing our best. It's not saying that at some point there will not be a, a level of, of phthalates in your bloodstream, right? Now that we're working with plastic so much, that's not saying that, uh, you know, we don't need to find a better, a better way than fossil fuels. I'm not saying that either. I, I think I just, I just, before we play this clip, I just want to make sure that everybody understands that, you know, we're just being so frivolous. Like, like Braden said, like Greg Braden said, we're, we're, we're not being cautious. We're not being careful. We're being frivolous and it's going to come back to bite us. And it really is. But, uh, you know, that clip that you were talking about, um, you know, with the carbon currency, I, I think it's very, very, uh, it's a very good clip and yeah, I'm going to play it here. Imagine for a moment that you live your life in chains, except the difference is these chains are invisible. It's a world where every single daily choice you make is controlled by something you can't even see. A world where at any time your government could cut off your access to your own money just because you've driven a few too many miles. And a world where the poorest among us will be given more reasons to struggle, while those at the top continue to live life the way that they always have. The truth is we could all be living in that world very soon. It's a world that is ruled above all by one thing, carbon. 
Before I get into this video, just a quick disclaimer. I am not a climate denier and I'm not pretending like carbon doesn't have an impact on our planet. I'm also not a climate scientist, so I'm not gonna be pretending like I know what's going on in our planet, but I am gonna be sticking in my lane and talking about the financial side of carbon and mostly the potential economic impacts this could have on all of us as we move more into a carbon obsessed world. And also talking about the potential of carbon being used as a tool of oppression by those currently in power. There's a lot to cover. So let's get into it. By now, no doubt you've heard the news and you've seen the headlines and you've probably seen this girl talking passionately at the United Nations about the state of our planet. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction and all you can talk about is money. According to basically every news source around us, carbon seems to be the biggest threat on the planet right now. And the best solution that we seem to have come up with is carbon credits. Currently, this is only something that big companies have to think about. However, this could all change very soon. This change could come in the form of PCA, Personal Carbon Allowance. In many nations around the world, large companies already have to purchase carbon credits in order to offset the carbon they're putting out in the environment. The theory is that the more a business pollutes, the more it must pay to undo the damage. But there are many who argue that these kinds of carbon limits should be placed on individuals too. As early as 2008, the UK government was exploring personal carbon allowances for each British citizen. In Sweden, the Royal Institute of Technology is currently heavily discussing the implementation of a PCA for Swedish citizens. And in the journal Nature, they've spoken about how the governments of France and California have explored a similar personal carbon allowance as well. On its own, this sounds pretty great. Of course, we want to make people more aware of the actions that they take and how they're contributing to society and the state of the planet. Okay, so how would the government then track your individual carbon usage? Luckily, they have an answer for that already. I've spoken about this tool many times before on the channel, and it's called a CBDC or the Central Bank Digital Currency. A central bank digital currency would be a fully digital currency just like Bitcoin. But unlike Bitcoin, it wouldn't be decentralized. Instead, a CBDC would be controlled by a nation's central bank and overseen by your government, which would give them the ability to track absolutely everything you spend your money on. But that's not the part that concerns people. One of the features of a CBDC is that you would make your money fully programmable, meaning that just like the rules of a video game, your government could put rules on how you spend your cash and potentially tell you what you can and cannot spend it on. A government controlling how you spend your money might sound a little bit far-fetched and you might be thinking that this kind of authoritarian control over your money is not going to be anything that we'll see in the future. Unfortunately, this is already implemented in the world. In China, the government is already able to program what its citizens can and cannot spend their money on. Over the last few years, they've limited millions of people's ability to buy things like train tickets, passports and luxury goods. They're able to do this because of China's intense social credit system that links each person's identity and actions to their bank account, allowing the government to see and to control everything a citizen does with their money. And it seems like the West is paying attention. In nations like Sweden, South Africa and Canada, trials of programmable central bank currencies are already underway. In fact, almost half of the world's nations are at some stage of implementing this kind of programmable money, meaning no matter where in the world you live, this technology is likely 
only a few years away. Okay, so how does programmable money tie in with the personal carbon limit? Well, it all comes down to whether or not you've gone over your monthly usage. And if you have, there are two possible case scenarios for that. The most openly talked about penalty for a person going over their individual carbon limit is that they'd simply get charged for doing so. Just the same as what happens to large companies today. Taken too many car trips this month or bought a little bit too much meat? In that case, you'd simply get a bill at the end of each month from your government so you can pay the price of being a naughty citizen. As your entire carbon usage would be tracked by a government CBDC, there would be no way to hide how much carbon you've used. And since they now also hold the keys to your money, they won't even need to send you a bill for your excess usage. Potentially, they'll just automatically pull your fine from your bank account. But there is a second, and in my opinion, a scarier thing that could happen if you do go over your monthly limit. And I'll talk about that in a second. But first, I want to introduce our sponsor, and that is Skillshare. Thank you, Skillshare, for sponsoring this video. <laughs> Skillshare is an online learning community with thousands of inspiring classes for creators. Explore new skills, deepen existing passions, and get lost in creativity. Class topics on Skillshare include illustration, graphic design, photography, film and video, marketing, productivity, freelance and entrepreneurship, web development, and so much more. It's curated specifically for learning, meaning that there are no ads and they're constantly adding premium classes so you can stay focused and follow wherever your creativity takes you. Whether you're a dabbler, a pro, a hobbyist, or a master, you are a creative. Discover what you can make with classes for every skill level. The first 1,000 of my subscribers to click the link in the description will receive one month worth of Skillshare for free so you can start exploring your creativity today. So now let's look at the second option of what could happen if you go over your month carbon limit and potentially this could give your government more ways of controlling your life and in order to do so we just have to look at what's happening in China. As we already know the Chinese government can already take away people's ability to buy certain items through a social credit system linked to their bank account which is exactly what your government could do as well when a programmable CBDC inevitably comes into play in the West and it's very possible they could use a CBDC to program your spending if you step outside the limits of your monthly carbon allowance. For example have you refilled your card too many times already this month? You could find that next time your card simply doesn't work at the pump. Or did you recently fly to the other side of the world to visit your family? Well, until your monthly limit resets, it's possible that you may not be able to buy so-called high carbon food items like coffee, meat, chocolate, or potatoes. Again, this scenario is just theoretical at this point. However, with the power of CBDCs, it would be very easy for governments to control your money in this way and to literally be able to cut you off from buying certain things you wanna buy because you've exceeded your monthly carbon limit. In short, this could really be the perfect tool in order to control the daily choices of a society and it would be in the hands of the people at the top. The types of people that are constantly talking about how dangerous carbon actually is. People like Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos and Prince Charles who regularly fly around the world on private jets while speaking about how important it is that we all lower our individual carbon output. Or people like the World Economic Forum's leader Klaus Schwab who talks about making the world carbon neutral by 2050 while at the same time organizing Davos, a gathering of world leaders and elites that each year attracts a record number of the world private jets in one place. Or celebrities like Leonardo DiCaprio, the darling of the global environmental movement who spends his time holidaying on the biggest yachts ever manufactured in Britain. A yacht that puts out as much carbon as almost 600 cars. A yacht that he also gets on and off via a helicopter. 
It seems like the people who talk most about how dangerous carbon is for the planet seem to be the most resistant to actually changing their own individual carbon footprint. And also, these are the same people that would have enough resources to buy the carbon credits that they need in order to live the lifestyle that they are continually living right now. This leads me to be considering who would be the biggest losers if carbon credits were actually to be put in place. And as always, it seems like it would be the people at the bottom of the economic food chain. It would be the poorest people in society who would be hit hardest by any kind of personal carbon allowance. People who are already struggling to make ends meet, who can't afford to upgrade their old diesel cars or get a brand new electric. Or those of us in society who don't have the extra budget to make more carbon conscious choices about food, clothing or lifestyle. Not only would these people struggle the most to lower their carbon footprint in the first place, but they'd also likely be the ones that would feel the biggest effects of a carbon tax if and when they eventually went over their monthly carbon limit. I do believe that we should all be doing our part in protecting this beautiful planet that we call home because without our home, we are not going to be alive. And I do think that humanity has a lot of room for improvement with consuming less and being really conscious about the types of decisions we make in our daily life. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't be asking questions about what life might be like for most of us when personal carbon allowances inevitably become a part of our daily lives, especially when many of the people who talk about carbon the most seem to be doing the least to diminish their own carbon footprints, while at the same time doing the most to influence the carbon-obsessed future we'll soon all find ourselves to be living in. Sure, personal carbon limits could be the thing that humanity needs in order for us to progress into a greener future and to leave this destructive nature of humanity that we have currently behind us. But I do believe that we are able to also implement changes from a place of inspiration and joy rather than from some perceived authority figure telling us that we shouldn't do this whilst they seem to not be doing any changes themselves. Because from the evidence that we're seeing and from the continued track record corruption of governments that we've seen in the past, it does seem that this could just be a tool for further financial imprisonment for those that are already struggling. So what do you believe? I would love to hear your thoughts down below. How can we make the future that we want rather than what somebody else wants for us? be really careful what I say here. In my opinion, the last two to three years was very orchestrated. They created this problem and so they had to bring in a solution. The solution was a passport. Passport is freedom of movement. What that essentially enables is a certain type of digital ID. It's a digital infrastructure which is now already in place. And now once they control your movement with this already existing infrastructure, they can now bring in a central bank digital currency. We already have the passports. All you have to do is just add another section We've got domestic passport, we've got travel passport. Oh, and now you can have your central bank digital currency passport, whereby you can also add some form of social credit score. So if you say the wrong thing or you like the wrong thing on social media or you have these inappropriate conversations and it goes public, well, then they can just lower your social credit score. So the last two years created a problem and it allowed a digital IT infrastructure already to be created so that a central bank digital currency can easily just swoop in. That, you know what that kind of reminds me? I can't remember the name of the movie. There was a movie with Justin Timberlake. It was a, something about time where they had barcodes on their, their arms. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. They had to uh, – it basically was a movie monetizing their life expectancy. Is that, right. is that accurate? But yeah. it was used as currency, right? Their time right. was used as currency. And uh, how is that any different than here? I mean you're talking about carbon and – and things like that. It's still aspects of your life. It's still, you know, the things that uh, that we're talking about with 
plastics and cobalt and you know, fossil fuels and recycling and, and all of these things. You, what kind of life do we want to live? One, two, you're, 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 you're going to tell me yeah, that I have an allowance of what the, the, that's not free. That's not freedom. When we've talked about, and I think we've shared that clip of, uh, Oh, what's his name from the Dumb and Dumber? Jeff. Uh... Okay, so Jeff Daniels, right? Jeff he was Daniels. on. He was on the one. Uh, the the clip we were seeing from one of the shows that he had done, where they were asking him. And you know what? I'll share it again here. Hi, my name is Jenny. I'm a sophomore, and this is for all three of you. Can you say in one sentence or less what? <laughs> um, you know what I mean. Can you say why America is the greatest country in the world? Diversity and opportunity. Lewis? Uh, freedom and freedom. So let's keep it that way. Well, the New York Jets. <laughs> no, I'm going to hold you to an answer on that. What makes America the greatest country in the world? Well, Lewis and Sharon said it. Diversity and opportunity and freedom and freedom. I'm not letting you go back to the airport without answering the question. Well, our Constitution is a masterpiece. James Madison was a genius. The Declaration of Independence is, for me, the single greatest piece of American writing. You don't look satisfied. One's a set of laws and the other's a declaration of war. I want a human moment from you. What about the people? Why is it not the greatest, the greatest country in the world, Professor? That's my answer. You're saying yes. You're... Let's talk about fine. The... Sharon, the NEA is a loser. Yeah, it accounts for a penny out of her paycheck, but he gets to hit you with it anytime he wants. It doesn't cost money. It costs votes. It costs airtime and column inches. You know why people don't like liberals? Because they lose. If liberals are so fucking smart, how come they lose so goddamn always? Hey. And with a straight face, you're going to tell students that America is so star-spangled awesome that we're the only ones in the world who have freedom? Canada has freedom. Japan has freedom. The UK, France, Italy, Germany, Spain, Australia, Belgium has freedom. So 207 sovereign states in the world, like 180 of them have freedom. All right. And yet you, uh, sorority girl, just in case you accidentally wander into a voting booth one day, there's some things you should know. And one of them is there is absolutely no evidence to support the statement that we're the greatest country in the world. We're seventh in literacy, 27th in math, 22nd in science, 49th in life expectancy, 178th in infant mortality, third in median household income, number four in labor force, and number four in exports. We lead the world in only three categories. Number of incarcerated citizens per capita, number of adults who believe angels are real, and defense spending, where we spend more than the next 26 countries combined, 25 of whom are allies. Now, none of this is the fault of a 20-year-old college student, but you nonetheless are, without a doubt, a member of the worst period, generation period ever, period. So when you ask what makes us the greatest country in the world, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Yosemite?
sure used to be. We stood up for what was right. We fought for moral reasons. We passed laws, struck down laws for moral reasons. We waged wars on poverty, not poor people. We sacrificed, we cared about our neighbors, we put our money where our mouths were, and we never beat our chest. We built great big things, made ungodly technological advances, explored the universe, cured diseases, and we cultivated the world's greatest artists and the world's greatest economy. We reached for the stars, acted like men. We aspired to intelligence, we didn't belittle it, it didn't make us feel inferior. We didn't identify ourselves by who we voted for in the last election, and we didn't, we didn't scare so easy. <laughs> we were able to be all these things and do all these things because we were informed by great men, men who were revered. First step in solving any problem is recognizing there is one. America is not the greatest country in the world anymore. Okay, so it's a Kalman clip. I believe we've shared it maybe more than once, but we're going to share it again. It's such a good clip where he's, uh, he's explaining to a bunch of college professors and students, you know, why America is not number one. And he makes the case of, you know, freedom. You know, so many other countries have freedom. Well, freedom is very, very important. But are we free? I always ask. Are we free? Because it seems like at one point it was like slowly those, you know, the certain things that make us free are being, you know, taken away. It's not happening so slowly anymore. And that's, I guess that's one of the things that worries me. Because once you take away those things, you know, the things that make you free, like free speech and the, uh, the ability to communicate, as we do on here, then how can you open minds? Your mind isn't free. Your mind is locked, closed, shut. Right, and and that's the thing with this um, this episode we want to bring. It's it's not that we're saying we're climate deniers, right? We're the whole the whole idea behind this is climate's constantly changing, and that's you know something that Greg Braden has talked about in, in a lot of his videos. the The corruption that comes from this subject matter is the fact that. They try to make us be the bearers and and the progenitors of all of the pollution. There, you've got these public, you've got these elites telling the public, "It's your fault. It's your fault," and you are the one that has to change. And they guilt trip us into the fact, of it. all the while making money off of it. And we have to discuss some of the things that we're being asked to do as Americans when it comes to things. Like them wanting to tax our ability to go ahead and use certain products, or tax tax us and say, "Hey, listen, you're you, you shouldn't eat meat, right?" Whereas meat is one of the most nutritious foods out there. You, you look at the the food pyramid, and I, I'm not mistaken, they've recently come out with a food pyramid where they actually said Lucky Charms was healthier than meat, a processed <laughs> food, right? Um, so what they're trying to do is in, in small ways where most people won't notice it unless you're of the mind of a conspiratorial mindset where you don't trust you know the public narrative you're not gonna you're not gonna 
pick these out. You're not going to pick these little nuanced instances out. And that's what we have to do. We have to, as a community, come together and share the information as much as we can. You know, you and I, with our listeners and the listeners, please, you know, share information with your family and friends, you know, to the to those who are open to the information. You know, too often people aren't open to this information. But this permeates all throughout our society. It doesn't just stop with plastics. You know, one of the things that the Biden administration recently has wanted us to go towards is clean fuels and clean energies. And that kind of brings us to, you know, the, the next part of, of this episode. We're, we're being told that we must move to solar vehicles. We must use, you know, go towards uh, non-combustible engine vehicles, right? And where's that? Where's all those elements coming from for those batteries? Well, right? that's whenever we played the clip with, uh, you know, before I went on and on again about phthalates, but um, before, before that we played the clip with the uh, the Joe Rogan cobalt sites, the mining sites. Right. These sites, uh, I, I, was, I was talking to a coworker of mine uh, um, who whose husband listens to the podcast. So shout out to those guys uh, and uh, Gianna and your husband. Thank you for listening to our podcast here. We're, uh, we're very thankful. Um, but anyway, I, I was, I was showing her, you know, some of the uh, cobalt sites out of the Congo where a lot of these cobalt sites are. Have you seen these online? Uh, no, you know, outside of some of the interviews that I heard Joe talk to with his guest, um, yeah. I haven't myself gone online and, and looked at so, the actual sites themselves. So the people, you know, that are, f we'll say, far left, including the uh, the Biden administration, who want to push for, uh, you know, this type of quote unquote clean energy, right? If you go online and you Google a cobalt mining site or cobalt mining, you know, and you just look at the images, look at some of the images. More often than not, you'll see. Uh, uh, people of color of adolescent age in these holes. Uh, these are the same people that like to call you and tell you that you're racist for thinking outside of the box or, or calling things for what they are. They're backing this type of labor and it's nothing short of slavery, nothing short of slavery. in some of these things, some of these images and uh, they, they are the very disturbing images. So, if, if if any of you guys are, you know, questioning or, or anything like that, well, you know, it's better than fossil fuel. Eh, take a look, you know, just just go on there, Google it, just look at the images, look at some of the reports. Um, and again, you know, it's only information while it's allowed. So maybe maybe another search engine, you might get more information out of it. And that goes right. with anything well, we talk about here. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, let's just pretend that it stopped there, you know, with the lithium batteries that we needed this cobalt. Let's just just pretend it, it stopped there. But it doesn't stop there. And this subject matter continues. It, cobalt is also a very important mineral for solar panels as well. And, and the largest producer of solar panels, again, are China. And you talk about slavery. You have the Chinese government, and a lot of evidence is coming out 
uh, though it tries to, like you said, get suppressed, it, it still leaks out. And there's a specific region in China where the majority of these uh, solar cells are produced. And that is the exact same region where the Uyghurs are enslaved by the Chinese government, being forced to work in these plants that create these solar panels. Again, uh, a subject that the American public is being forced to say, hey, listen, it's, it's so much better to go ahead and, and warm your homes and electrify your homes for through solar panels. And we're constantly being told that is, this is a clean source of energy, right? And because it's a clean source of energy, this is everybody has to go towards this towards this uh, purview or, or this this belief that this is what we got to do for America. Was it the 2030 agenda? Or 2035 agenda that they're trying to, to pass along to us and make no bones about it. This is something that they're going to force on us because if you haven't heard anything about these smart meters, this is something that happened, I believe, during the summer in Colorado where there was a community, several communities where they were using too much of their energy and their AC was turned off in the midst of a heat wave. Mm-hmm. Right. And people were saying, well, we can't, you know, our, our AC won't turn on. And, and it had something to do with the smart meters. And they had already used their allotted amount of energy for that period of that period of payment or period of the, that month. And this is sort of the same thing we're talking about, going back to the, to the girl who was talking about using carbon as as currency. This this is why something like climate change is really important and, and where why it's really important for us to analyze where this idea leads us because we we've got to take into consideration where these quote unquote clean sources of energy are coming from coming from. We have to take into consideration how these products are produced. We have to take into consideration who's behind some of these ideas and who started these ideas because whenever you start looking at the origin stories of all these agendas you start finding out that they're not as pure as we were led to believe no not to mention the people that would be implementing such things are the same people that would make these rules for us the the people not them you know they're going to make the rules for everybody else but them you know they're not if you think that a politician out there after, you know, if, if something like this were to be implemented with, you know, carbon currency or carbon emission, you know, you have a set amount. Um, if you think that they're going to follow those rules, you're sadly, sadly mistaken. I mean, it's the same thing, you know, we've said many, many times, fines were created for the poor. You know, if you can afford a fine, what do you care? It doesn't matter. Oh, well, yeah. It, I mean, um behind the curtain a little bit we're actually talking right around the time that davos was happening with the world economic forum and one of the biggest issues that they were talking about at this uh world economic forum this year in 2023 was Those people are nuts, carbon emissions man. right and Those and how many private jets went there to to attend this yeah, yeah. society damn near every one of them had their own private jet how, how what's the carbon emissions there so you know, they want us to limit carbon emissions, 
right? At the same time, <laughs> they they do what they want without consequences. Okay, Reverend Pete, so you set the terms here. So how's your climate record? That seems like a fair question given that you've just told us that we will go to hell for our carbon emissions. So let's see how you're doing. Fox News Digital just got a hold of the Reverend Pete's travel schedule, a list of trips he's taken since getting the job at the transportation department. And it turns out that Reverend Pete is the Jimmy Swaggart of climate clergy. He was commanding you not to do it, at the same time he was doing it himself in a very big way. Way more than you've ever thought of doing it. In less than two years, Buddha judge has flown private at taxpayer expense nearly 20 times. He's jetted to Ohio and Florida and New Hampshire, among other places. In September, Buttigieg took an FAA jet to a Canadian gay rights ceremony to accept an award for his LGBTQ plus advocacy, something else he's been doing since he gave up on the roads. All this has been extremely expensive for you and every other taxpayer. You may recall that Donald Trump's HHS secretary, Tom Price, lost his job for doing exactly the same thing. An outraged Politico.com drove him out of office. Right. Make no mistake. That's going to be how, how things happen, whether it's people at uh, the WEF or, you know, you know, like you were saying Davos or, you know, in in Washington or any of you know the elites outside or they don't make these rules for them to follow. They're never going to do that. They're never going to follow. They're not going to give up their luxurious lives. They're not going to tell. And it's the same thing with BP. Right. And the carbon footprint. They're never going to yeah. admit to you know what they're doing. They're going to turn around, put the blame on you, and uh, you know ask you to cut back, ask you to do your part. It's never responsibility will never be taken. The one of the biggest problems I always said this, and especially in this country, more specifically for this country, is that this was the government was supposed to be created to work for the people. And it hasn't been there that way for such a long time. They don't work for the people anymore. The government, honestly, I am so anti-government uh, in my long journey with all these discussions that you and I have had. So, so anti-government. And it's it's not what it should. They're supposed to be working for the people. They're not working for the people. They do not work for the people. They think about their own personal interests and their lobbyists and their buddies, their friends. They think about their you know, their future kin. They think about their granddaughters and grandsons and, and future whatnot. They don't want to kill that wealth of bloodline. You're going to continue to be where you're at. That's, that's not how this was supposed to work. That's not how this, uh, this, our founding fathers wanted this country to be ran. It was not supposed to be the people listening to the government. It was supposed to be the government listening to the people. And it's, uh, unfortunately we're so far away from that right now. It's become such an issue to where, you know, we, we're so complacent now because we're so used to seeing these things. We, there was a time when the American people would never allow these things to happen. They've been so indoctrinated now that, you know, they think if we don't allow these things to happen, they're bad people. Uh, you know, to your point, like you were saying earlier, you know, they play off of guilt and they play off of fear. And that's exactly what's going on here. Again, as in many other scenarios, nothing's changed. For our... Uh... Long-time listeners, I'm, I'm going to drop a little bit of an Easter egg here for a future episode. Uh, we we have a guest coming on, I believe, in a couple weeks, maybe a month or so. And uh, your, your whole premise there that you're talking about government and how you're so anti-government and about how they're not working for the people. They're, they're, uh, they're, we've got something working where we're going to have a podcast circling around the whole idea of the Constitution and what it – and how it's been been manipulated without the public's 
even knowing it. Yeah. So while they're, uh, that's a very good Easter egg there, Jeffro. Uh, you know, while while you got phthalates in your air and your food and shrinking your dick size and not, you know, they're they're keeping you from you know, continuing your bloodline. You know, you, you've also been born into uh, you know a corrupt system of slavery, and uh, we're going to touch base on that, like Jeffro here said, and more than likely that'll be our next podcast. Um, you know, we do what we can to try to get these out. And I know it's been way too long since our last recording, and that's why this one's a little bit longer. Yeah, speaking to the, the clean energy, there was a another insert we want to pop in here, and it highlights more information based off of this this idea behind clean energy. And it comes from a, a YouTuber a channel called Unearthed America. So uh, let's go ahead and insert that video here if you would mario welcome to america uncovered i'm chris chapel the sun friend to all living creatures except the irish besides providing life the sun is also a great source of energy the biden administration has said they want solar energy to power nearly half of the u.s electricity supply by 2050 but we're still a long way from that to get there Yearly solar capacity additions will need to double annually through 2025 before quadrupling from 2020's level each year between 2025 and 2030. Could we even reach that goal without needing people walking around in solar suits? I can't tell if this is the coolest or the lamest thing I've ever seen. According to a new study by the U.S. Department of Energy, the U.S. has the potential to get to a zero-carbon grid through solar. According to Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm, the study shows that solar could produce enough electricity to power all of the homes in the U.S. by 2035 and employ as many as one and a half million people in the process. Well, that sounds great. Is it realistic? Not sure, especially the one and a half million jobs part, since America hardly makes any solar panels these days. So, sorry if you were hoping to be this rejected G.I. Joe Ninja for Halloween this year. Solar panels were invented in America by Bell Labs in 1954. Nearly all the solar energy patents since then have been in America. In 1978, America was making 95% of the world's solar panels. But by the 1980s, globalization began happening on a big scale. First, Japan started taking over solar panel manufacturing. And if Americans thought that was bad, by the late 2000s, it was dominated by China. Today, only one of the world's 10 largest makers of solar cells is American. Most solar panels Americans buy nowadays are assembled in China. And when they're made in China, it's not exactly green energy. I'll explain after the break. Welcome back. Americans love solar panels. We'd slap them on our burgers if we could. Now that's a power lunch. But the true cost of solar panels is far greater than what we've been paying. To make solar panels, you need a lot of base metals, including aluminum, copper, and zinc. The use of all three metals in the solar sector is set to double by 2040. Solar panels also need cobalt, a metal used for building batteries. But a lot of these metals come from countries with very poor labor laws. Fun fact, if you say poor labor laws in a mirror five times, China will appear behind you and put you to work. 
Take the Democratic Republic of Congo, or DRC. It's one of the biggest countries in Africa and also one of the least democratic. It's also one of the world's top 10 sources of rare earth metals. Unfortunately for the big corporations that want to extract those metals, the DRC has basically no human rights standards for workers. These guys are climbing into these holes, straddling railroad ties and hauling up tons of cobalt with makeshift rope and, and no proper safety equipment or support whatsoever. In January 2016, a human rights report alerted the world to how cobalt is often dug up by hand under unsafe, sometimes deadly conditions by subsistence miners, including children. And China just so happens to operate a lot of these unsafe cobalt mines in the DRC. All right, who in the DRC said poor labor laws in the mirror five times? Mining in the DRC sounds pretty bad, but not compared to how China treats many of its own workers in solar panel manufacturing. See, making solar panels is quite labor intensive. It starts with making photovoltaic cells, or PV cells for short. The first couple of steps of making these PV cells involves processing quartz, turning it into metallurgical grade silicon, and then refining that into polysilicon. Well, that sounds complicated. Is China finding high-skilled workers and paying them well for their expertise? No, they're using slave labor. According to this report about forced labor in global supply chains, 95% of solar modules rely on one primary material, solar grade polysilicon. And China accounts for 75% of the world's polysilicon supply. Most of that comes from Xinjiang, which is a region of China. And if you've been watching my other show, China Uncensored, you know that by some estimates, millions of ethnic minorities in Xinjiang have been put into forced labor camps. Yeah, that sounds bad. It also looks bad when caught on drone footage. Five of the world's top six producers of polysilicon are in China and four of them have facilities in Xinjiang. And all four polysilicon manufacturers in Xinjiang have reported their participation in labor transfer or labor placement programs, which is a politically correct way of saying they use slave labor. I didn't realize you could just make up euphemisms for atrocities. No, your honor, he wasn't murdered. He participated in a bullet to the face program. The reason why China relies on manual labor in Xinjiang is that solar panels are fragile. Around 0.3 millimeters thick, they can be easily broken if not handled properly. As a result, production in the past has largely been dependent on manual handling. According to Goldman Sachs, low costs from cheaper labor were a key factor in China's ability to lower production costs. Why do you think the U.S. can't compete with cheap Chinese solar panels? With their methods, China never has to worry about a labor shortage. But if you think child labor in Africa and ethnic slave labor in China aren't reason enough to think twice about solar panels, stick around after the break. It gets even darker. Welcome back. So what's the big deal if solar panels use a little slave labor, right? If you don't care about that, you might still care about the devastating impact solar panels can have on the environment, especially when they're made in China. Wait, the country that doesn't care about enslaving mothers also doesn't care about mother nature? Color me surprised. See, making solar panels requires a lot of energy, and that energy's 
Gotta come from somewhere. China's solution? Tons of cheap coal. That coal is a key reason why China's greenhouse gas emissions exceed those of all other developed countries combined. Luckily for China, there are huge coal reserves in Xinjiang. You know, the slave labor region. For years, China's low-cost coal-fired electricity has given the country's solar panel manufacturers a competitive advantage, allowing them to dominate global markets. Concerns are mounting in the U.S. and Europe that the solar industry's reliance on Chinese coal will create a big increase in emissions in the coming years as manufacturers rapidly scale up production of solar panels to meet demand. You know, the kind of scaled-up demand that the Biden administration is now pushing for. Which is actually very progressive of Biden, since all that coal will lead to more black and brown clouds in the sky. Representation matters. But scientists say solar panels are worth it in the long term. The energy they produce could offset the amount of CO2 expended to make them in the first place. I'd say don't hold your breath on that, but considering how polluted the skies in China are, holding your breath is usually the best option. But there's another problem. Solar panels also produce tons of toxic waste, and not the cool kind that makes Ninja Turtles. Turning metallurgical-grade silicon into polysilicon creates a toxic compound called silicon tetrachloride. Most manufacturers recycle this waste to make more polysilicon. But the reprocessing equipment can cost tens of millions of dollars. If it's thrown away and exposed to water, silicon tetrachloride releases acids that destroy soil and creates harmful fumes. But even if we reduce this waste during manufacturing, solar panels eventually stop working, especially if they're poorly made in China. And when their lifespan is over, they leave behind toxic trash. According to the International Renewable Energy Agency, as the global photovoltaic market increases, so will the volume of decommissioned PV panels and large amounts of annual waste are anticipated by the early 2030s. Growing PV panel waste presents a new environmental challenge. The Harvard Business Review says the sheer volume of discarded panels will soon pose a risk of existentially damaging proportions. This is almost as bad as that island of trash floating in the Pacific. The industry's current recycling capacity is woefully unprepared for the deluge of waste that is likely to come because the financial incentive to invest in recycling has never been very strong in solar. That's because it's a lot more expensive to recycle a solar panel than to just send it off to landfills. But sending it to landfills is horrible for the environment. And not just because the possums in the landfills using solar panels to get a tan will get skin cancer. Toxic materials can leak out as the discarded solar panels break down. While discarded modules have to be disposed of properly in Europe, most other countries don't yet have such regulations. And if China is willing to make solar panels using slave labor and coal-fired power plants, do you really think they're going to make sure old solar panels are recycled properly? Even in the coolest slash lamest way possible. Uh, so there you have it, Jeff. Some uh, some ugliness surrounding you know solar panels, 
the cobalt, the lithium, all of it tying in together. They want to call it clean energy. They want to tell you you're, uh, you're destroying the earth, you're a fascist, you're a racist, all the same people telling you this. Meanwhile, you have uh, you know, slavery being implemented to mine these things. It's not funny, but at the same time, it's very, uh, very ironic. And you know, just to run some numbers by everybody, you know, let's, let's go off the idea that there are 330 million people in, uh, you know, in, in this country, just let's go off of that, right? Let's take that number and let's let's kill that by a hundred million people, you know, you know, per household maybe. So we'll say you know, two hundred million people, roughly two hundred million homes. Let's say every one of them has solar panels. You know, what's the life expectancy of these solar panels, Jeffro? What is it like, twenty five, thirty years at most? Something like that. What happens, and that's that's if nothing happens to these solar panels. That's yeah, right. They're so sensitive, right? They they are so fragile. They they crack sometimes, and they they get abrasions and scratches, and and then all of a sudden you've got to replace them. And I guarantee it's going to happen more than you know every twenty five to thirty years. I mean, living in Northeast Ohio, I know you and I can can definitely tell everybody that the weather up here isn't exactly the kindest. And, you know, in other parts of this particular country, they're not the kindest either. You know, you go to the Midwest, you know, you start going out that way, you start to see lots of tornadoes. You go down south, you see some some horrific, uh, you know, I play my video game online with a lot of friends from uh, Texas, and they're always talking about, you know, the horrible weather they have down there from time to time. It's, it's nature, right? It's going to happen, but if... If you're telling me that the green good idea is to have a solar panel powering my home or even my vehicle, that these things are going to last such a short amount of time of 25 to 30 years, this is green, as long as nothing happens to them and you're not going to have to replace them. No, that's more money to be made there. You know, So anybody who right. has their hands in you know, the cobalt, they're, they're going to make more money. Here. And I believe, uh, Jeffrey, you, you were talking about a, a, a speech from Obama um, whenever he was in his presidency. You were talking to me about it. I remember something about it. What was that again? Yeah, I, I don't believe it was during his presidency. It was a, a clip on the Jimmy Dore show Oh, where oh, okay. o- Obama was uh, doing a presentation in Africa. And he was talking about – and I'm, I'm just paraphrasing here uh, – something along the lines that Obama was saying, talking about – equality when it came to third world countries and if everybody had the same amenity if everybody there had their own vehicle right if everybody there had air conditioning for their homes that the waters and seas would boil over so we can't strive for economic you know equality we can't we can't have equality when it comes to your economic uh stability okay but what you got to do is the only way we can have those things is if we start going towards these green energies, right? So the idea of if you have a vehicle, if everybody on the planet had a combustible combustible engine vehicle, then the seas would boil over because that would be too much pollution. That would be too much you know, carbon in the atmosphere. But if we all had green vehicles… We can go ahead and we can do that. Then, then we can have equality, right? But basically, in my mind, what it seemed like he was really doing 
is justifying the need for all this cobalt, justifying the need to make sure that these people in these these African nations understood. Well, part of the reason the why we're pitch. Yeah, That's part of the reason was. why we're raping this country is and and forcing you guys into these you know uninhabitable working conditions. You know these conditions that are just. I mean, as, as we've shown here on a couple episode, a couple uh, videos on this episode, horrendous working conditions. Th this this was a like you said a sales pitch to say, oh, but you're doing something good for the globe. This is justifiable, you know, the way we're treating you. It's justifiable the way, you know, Apple and, and Tesla and on some of these other corporations are, are just going about their business. Yeah, tell it's, me you're it's an advocate for slavery without telling me you're an advocate for slavery. I mean, yeah. it's, it's exactly what happened here. You know, this you can't have these nice running vehicles like we have because they're dirty vehicles, and we're trying to make things better. And you're going to help with that. So until you help with that, <laughs> until right. you help us, you know, become more green, you you can't have these things. Meanwhile, we're still going to have these things because right. we know damn well that the alternative, the quote unquote green alternative that he's trying to sell to the people there, is uh, it, it's a farce. Yeah, and a matter of fact, I'm, I, I refound that video, so maybe we can go ahead and post that here. If, if those of you out there may not be believing uh, of of the statement, this was exactly from his his mouth. Awesome. Ultimately, if you think about all the youth that everybody's mentioned here in Africa, if everybody's raising living standards to the point where everybody's got a car and everybody's got air conditioning and everybody's got a big house, uh, well, the planet will boil over. He sounds a lot like Klaus Schwab when he says, you will own nothing and you will be happy. He's saying this about climate change. You don't get to have economic development because of climate change, but we're going to let you have some if you do it in a certain way. And here he goes. Unless we find new ways of producing energy. Unless we find new ways of producing energy. How big is Barack Obama's house on Martha's Vineyard? President Barack Obama. And his family have completed the purchase of a $11.75 million waterfront house situated on nearly 30 acres on Martha's Vineyard, an affluent island located south of Cape Cod in Massachusetts. Barack Obama is fighting for you. He's just doing it on Martha's Vineyard. Well, there you go. In a dirty mouth it is. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Most politicians do have. You know, they just eat and shovel shit all day. That's that's what they do. Yeah, I just, you know... I, I... Thinking about everything we presented today, and I know it's a lot of information for everybody out there. It's again, I think the climate issue is less about the planet and more about corruption, right? If if we were honest about some of the solutions that the elites have presented to us, they would lose. They're money. not real. They're not real solutions. Right, the solutions they're presenting to us are clean energy, and and the solutions they're presenting to us are, hey, you're the problem. Hey, you know, the right. solutions they're presenting to us is, well, carbon is an issue. Um, when in reality, you know, you look at some of the charts that Greg Braden talked about in the beginning of the episode, carbon doesn't equate to temperature variances. Right? It's there's a lag. 
you know, I, I, and I, I will say this. I know we do use a lot of clips from Greg Braden, Joe Dispenza, things like that. But you know, when we're searching for information, there are other, there are other uh, physicists and scientists out there who have videos that make these implications that, you know, more so on the other side of the aisle with things like this, but there's really, there's nothing back. There's no fact, you know, bring, show me somebody who brings the facts to the table. Show me somebody who brings, you know, the long-term studies, the charts, everything that we know. That's if you want to talk about, you know, getting down to the root of problems, fixing things, moving forward, making things better, you have to consider everything you have to consider all the data and nobody is considering especially in this topic nobody's considering all the data so when you hear somebody and i think greg said it uh very well in uh one of his videos that we did play that uh you know there are scientists out there that just wholeheartedly refuse to look at all the data because the narrative doesn't go that way they're not paid to look at all the data they're paid to look at a portion of the data so that they could say, well, a scientist has looked at this. A, you know, a, a historical scientist has looked at it. Well, he, yeah, he looked at it. He ignored all the data. Not Well, he didn't ignore all the data. He, he ignored a piece of the data and only presented what helped the narrative. One of the reasons why we consistently use a lot of Greg Braden's clips is because he always brings all the information to the table. Yes, he has sources. Uh, we're going to post some charts, some of his charts that correlate to the videos that we played in this episode on Discord. And like you said, you were going to post some on the website. In those charts, just for anybody who wants to cross-reference this material, at the bottom of these charts are his source material and where he got this information. So when we post these charts and we, and we post some of this other information, if you guys want, you know, the source is right there. And that's it's important that you said that, Mario, because I think one of the reasons why uh, we like – another reason, like you said, is he comes with source data, and these people, they're not beholden to universities. They're, they're not hired by universities. They don't have special interest groups saying you have to talk about this or you got to talk about that. They're free to be able to speak however they want, mm -hmm. right? They, they This is something that Joe talked about recently on some of his podcasts. You know, like Jordan Peterson, they've escaped. They, they've they've had that escape velocity, right? Greg Braden's written so many books; he's financially comfortable. Uh, same thing with Joe Dispenza. They they have their own uh, seminars and whatnot, so they're not beholden to their career to have to work at a university. They're not beholden to a certain corporation that's backing their data. They can go ahead and they can speak freely because financially they're free to be able to do that. They don't have to, you know, worry about not getting funds for their laboratory or their university. Which and is very, when they very do, important. Right. And then when they do present the information, they present their source data. Right. And it's it's interesting that that information is so dangerous that half the time, whenever you, you talk about these characters like uh, Bruce Lipton or or. Uh, you know, some of the people that even Joe has on his podcast, you know, uh, some of the scientists that he had during you know, the whole pandemic issue. Every single time there was an alternative thought process that didn't 
go along with the the public narrative that was trying to be sold out there they were trying to cancel joe immediately and they tried to do it several times because this is a recurring issue they they don't want consent or they want consent they don't want dissent they they want everybody just to accept everything that is that's right be complacent accept everything that's being sold to them and just comply just comply you know and uh <laughs> comply uh that reminds me of the movie they live um and the broadcasting and the <laughs> and the billboards and stuff whenever he's got the glasses on it's like comply okay. obey obey yeah. comply great movie um, way ahead of its time oh yeah yeah absolutely john carpenter right uh right it's I don't know. We 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 as a, as a collective have to start understanding that it's not about climate change because the climate constantly changes and if it hadn't then it the climate's going to change, we, you know, regardless of what some people might think. We live on a ball, right? It's and, been uh, that way before humanity. It's right. we have evidence of this. It's 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 constantly like to your point, it's constantly changed. No, it's your it's not your fault. It's not your fault that, you know, there is the the globe is getting warmer, you know? Uh, and that's something I always consistently hear, global warming, global warming. Okay, yeah, it it it's always happened. It's always happened. It's going to happen again as long as this planet exists. It, it goes through these motions. This is something that I I always have uh in discussions with, um, well, I used to have discussions with uh, our buddy Lee, who was abducted by aliens. <laughs> but you know, it, it was it was a back and forth uh, between he and I because he was always more, you know, he always leaned more toward buying the idea of well, we have to do what we have to do to you know minimize our carbon footprint, all this. I mean, you know, but I I I don't listen if if that's the only thing we're doing here is if that's what you were told and that's what you believe, maybe be open-minded to the possibility you were lied to here. And it doesn't mean that you're a bad person. That doesn't mean that you're stupid. One of the things that I want to aim to do here, and I know you want to do the same here, Jeff Rowe, with this podcast, is get people to wake up. You know, we're not going to do that by calling people stupid. We're not going to do that. Nobody wants to call you stupid. Nobody, even though you may feel that way, you know, if you, if you dig into some of this research that you and I talk about and things like that, I, I'm sure some of our listeners were like, wow, you know, I was lied to. It's not a good feeling. It's never a good feeling. But at some point, everybody gets to that point, and then they have, you just have to open your eyes and look at everything around you and see, you know, see the forest, from, you know, or the trees or however. Yeah. Right. You know, it, it's some people just have a hard time doing that because they're so they're so deep deep within themselves for not wanting to feel that way and i'll tell you this um once you get to that point the sooner you get to that point the sooner you can get over that idea no you're not stupid you shouldn't feel stupid uh there's there's malicious entities out there that want you to believe these things. And that's how they keep this going. That's exactly how they keep all of these things going because they know once you realize that 
not only is it damning to them, but you're going to feel like it's damning to your character as well. Right. And you don't yeah. want to believe that. Right. Uh, if, if I were to summarize this, the, the thing I hope everybody gets out of this is this. Like you were talking about data. Now the term for data is stats, right? And we all know stats, when they're cherry-picked, can prove your point no matter what your point is, right? And they're, you, you have scientists and corporations cherry-picking data and presenting it in a, in a fashion that is forcing people to change or, or they're, they're challenging the moral character of a person, right? Mm-hmm. Climate change is happening. There is climate change. Yeah. My biggest issue are the solutions in which we're being told we must adopt to stop the slow of climate change. Which is going to create never, a bigger problem. Right. It's going to create a bigger problem. It has created a bigger problem. The things that we're being asked to do, we're being asked to adopt electric vehicles. And the acceptance of electric vehicles into the the population, you know, in a massive way is not viable. The, the, the trajectory is, is not viable because of the way we're sourcing the products that create the electrical vehicle. Same thing, meaning cobalt, right? And, the, and these other rare earth, earth minerals. Um, we're all being told we have to go to solar, right? We're all being told it's clean. Yeah, it's, we're, you know, China's Everything using, but. right, coal to, to have the, the manufacturing process in these plants to create the solar panels. Uh, they're using slave labor, both in China and basically in Africa. Um, the solutions they're giving us aren't solutions that can work in perpetuity and and they're oppressing and and sacrificing so many other people in other parts of the world but as long as here in america they're out of sight out of mind they can go ahead and lie to us and say oh yes if you consume solar if you consume buying electric if you consume doing this and, and you reduce your carbon footprint then you're a good person and if you don't do it, well, then you're the scourge of the earth. And the reason why things like the the, the co-opted uh, elements of, hey, we're going to go ahead and make everybody feel like they have to recycle, change the recycling – or not change the recycling logo, but basically co-opt the, the recycling logo and put it on all kinds of different pr- plastics that aren't even recyclable. I mean this – in this episode, I hope everybody has seen that there's so many different elements in this subject matter, and every one of them have been manipulated very carefully and propagated very carefully to make sure that you realize you are the reason why this planet is dying. Right. And and right. the rich and the elite, they're creating entire markets supporting these ideas. And they're getting rich not only from the oil industry, not only from the solar energy, but on these backside energies where they're using things like carbon as stock exchange elements. Yeah. As, uh, so, you know, it's, it's. The short and skinny of this yeah. is what they're telling you. What they're telling all of us is this is your fault. Make me money. 
and go kill yourself. Right. Right. I mean, that's, that's the short and skinny of exactly what they're telling you. And this whole process of quote unquote, going green, this is not a solution. This is a money-making scheme. Who's going to be the slave laborers? Well, it's going to be those, you know, people who buy into it, which is going to be all of us. And it's going to be the people who are actually in the mines, unfortunately. Same thing. You know, they think they're doing it all for a greater good. It's not. It's it's a worse or evil. You know, it's it's we're going the other way with this. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Right. They've they've presented an issue, a problem. They have presented a solution to that problem. But their solution to the problem is worse than the original problem. And they don't. They won't admit it. They won't admit and it. And they won't admit it. Too much money to be made there. Exactly. And you know, I know it seems like we're getting ready to to end this video, but and I know we've put a lot of videos in here, and, and part of the reason for that is this: whenever you have this subject matter the way it is, if you present it without evidence ourselves, like we've told our listeners before. We want to be able to allow them to understand why we are coming from the position that we are coming from, and the best way to do that is to share the information in the places that we got the information. We've got one more video, and uh, it's, it's really important. I think everybody, uh, whenever you listen to it, it it's another episode from, uh, from Greg. It's about – what is it, Mario? About 20 minutes long. About 20 and, minutes. Uh, We're going to end uh, the podcast on it. Yeah, we're, we're going to end on it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, please, when listening to this episode, I, I know it's, it's quite a, you know, qu- a little bit longer than the ones we normally have. But after digesting all this information, if you guys have either correlating information or non-correlating information, information that pushes us against it, please share it because in our, in our search going down the rabbit hole. With this information, Un- unlike the narrative that good old Al Gore tried to tell us and calling it inconvenient truth, what really is going on is if we look at everything as a whole, it's actually an inconvenient lie. The lie that they're perpetrating against us as a public and efforts to, to enrich themselves and allow their legacy to continue. All right, buddy. Well, we're going to play that clip here. But uh, we're not gone. We're still here. Just trying to find the time to do everything. But until then, Jeff Rowe. Until then, Mario. I'm John Peterson from the Arlington Institute. And we come to you every couple of weeks like this. Greg Braden and I have an unstructured, unplanned conversation for a half an hour about whatever comes to mind. And so, hi, Greg, and welcome. Hey, John, it's good to see you. I've been out of the country for, for about three weeks. We have uh, missed a couple of these conversations, and I've, I've missed having them. I've missed you, and I've missed connecting with our, our community. So I'm, I'm excited and uh, happy to be with you today and happy to have this conversation. Yeah, well, good. So what's on your mind? What's up? You no, know, John, I mean, there's so many things that we – I now, after traveling uh, in Europe for three weeks, in the Middle East for three weeks, I've, I've got – topics that will cover our what's up for you know the the next uh, well into 23 but i i think one thing that really stood out to me john and i i'm very passionate about this uh is i'm seeing how universal the demonization of carbon dioxide has become on the global stage Mm. uh 
And I'm concerned because of the what it does to us socially, for one thing, but also humans tend to go to extremes. Yeah. And when the media harps upon the the dangers uh, and, and demonizes carbon in general and carbon dioxide specifically, the extreme is that all carbon, all carbon dioxide is bad. And the if we were to to reduce the carbon dioxide on our planet, the, the way that our officials would like for us to, it literally is a death pack for, yeah. for, our, for our planet. Now, we can say those things, and I, and I want to talk about those, but as a geologist, uh, I, I like to see facts. And what I'd like to share, one of the things I'd like to share with our community is, um, is a graph of carbon dioxide levels. And this it's a beautiful way to, to show how this data could be manipulated, John, because if you, if you look at carbon dioxide over 10 years, or you look at it over 50 years, yeah. uh, you know, what you're seeing in that period of time is not representative of, of the cycles of, of Earth's history. And rarely, rarely will you see in the mainstream the carbon dioxide levels of the Earth going back millions of years. And what was happening on the Earth while those levels were much higher than they are today. So at some point in our conversation, I'd like to share that. But, uh, but the thing that really stood out to me, John, this is important for young people. Young people are very vulnerable to, uh, to ideas that are put forth, for example, by their college professors. Uh, right. And many young people still revere mainstream media. If they see something on television, uh, it, it holds an air of authority for them. Yeah. Many of us of, of our age now have, have come to recognize that just because it's on TV, <laughs> yeah. that, that doesn't mean it's true. But a lot of young people don't. So what I'm seeing, John, the, the danger, it, it's one thing to say, okay, we need to cut back on greenhouse gases. And, and you know, there's all kinds of reasons for that and ways to do that. But now this is being used for social engineering. And it literally is, it's dividing families, but it is shredding communities. Yeah. And what I've seen in my own community, and I live in a rural community, many people have heard me talk about this, in, in northern New Mexico, we've got a lot of dirt roads when it rains, we've got mud up halfway up to the, the, the hubcaps on, on traditional vehicles. When it snows, we're talking about feet of snow. So four-wheel drives and trucks are very common in our part of the world uh, because they're necessary to and especially if if you've got an uh, an hour you have to drive from your your ranch or your farm into the nearest yeah. town so it's not like tesla country you know where yeah. you're seeing a lot of electric cars young people are being empowered through false narratives to destroy and vandalize uh anything that they see in their opinion that's contributing to the co2 that they're told is stealing their lives and stealing their yeah. future and stealing the earth from them. So what they're doing is they are uh, new vehicles. They're, they're keying at, in public parking lots, like the grocery stores, that they see a vehicle that they judge in that moment is producing more CO2 than the Tesla next to it. They'll key. Uh, in other words, just take, take a key and they'll, they'll scrape all the way down to the metal 
they'll uh, they'll flatten the tires. We've seen that happen. They'll uh, you know uh, mark spray paint something like that, and they feel empowered and justified in doing yeah. it. It's not like they've done anything wrong. And this is a really really different way of thinking. It's a very very powerful shift uh, in thinking that that's destroying our communities. So the idea that uh, that carbon dioxide is is a poison yeah. uh, is is a false narrative to begin with. We are carbon based beings. Of course, we are. And yeah. and by by demonizing the carbon dioxide and carbon life, we're actually demonizing ourselves. And I think this even speaks, John, to a larger agenda that we've talked about—the transhuman agenda, where we've been conditioned to believe that we are flawed as human beings yeah. and that we need to correct those flaws through technology, replacing our carbonness with polymers and synthetics in mm. terms of skin and organs and tissues. So yeah. it's all a part of a bigger picture. But what I'd like to do, John, can I just for a moment, can I share the screen? Yeah, please? sure. Sure you can. And okay. we've, uh, we've never done this. It's not PowerPoint. I'm just going to bring up an image here. Let me see if it allows me to do this. And allows me to do this. Are you seeing anything on your yeah, screen? Yeah, I can see it. Mm -hmm. All right, good. So what this is, I'm going to move this around a little bit. It's something you don't see very often. Is carbon dioxide levels in geologic history. And what you're seeing on the far right is today. Now, our levels, are they higher than they have been in the last 100 years? Yes, they are. We're being led to believe that they have never been higher, uh, that Earth is going to be destroyed if they are any higher. And we're being led to believe that these are driving temperatures yeah. higher than they've ever been, both of which are not true. So first of all, you can see carbon dioxide levels have been much higher. This is the black line you're seeing. Right. Uh, and I'm not sure if, if I'm moving our little pictures around. Are you seeing that on your screen? No, nothing's moving. Okay, good, good. So I, I don't know if I'm blocking the image or not. But if if you're looking, I mean, our carbon dioxide levels are actually very low compared to where they have been in geologic history. Sure. Uh, we go back into the, uh, in the Triassic period, for example. It's the purple right there between uh, 200 and 250 million years. You can see it was much higher. The Devonian period sure. to the far left. One of the most, Probably the the best known eras in, in our past is or periods is the Cretaceous period right there. Right, yeah, uh, it's right. in the green, 100, 100 million years. So I, I want just to use this as an example. Those carbon dioxide levels were over over three times higher than they are right now. They were up a little over eight hundred, almost a thousand parts per million for parts of that. What was the Cretaceous period like? It was an extreme greening. Uh, on the earth, uh, forests emerged and uh, new forms of life, a lot of flowering plants, sure. for example, and large mammals. But look at this, when those CO2 levels dropped drastically, brought an yeah. end to the Cretaceous. And this is sure. the danger, John, a lot of people aren't talking about if, if earth CO2 levels drop below 184 parts per million, that seems to be the threshold where uh, where we're in trouble because yeah. the the forests of the earth thrive on the co2 we cut that co2 
if CO2 drops to those levels, uh, we are actually cutting off the very life force that is providing the oxygen on, on the planet. So we, we don't want to do that. Uh, and, and young people are not getting that message at all. So I, I think well, there's, there's a way, oh, go ahead, John, I'm sorry. Well, there's a, there's a couple of things that need to be said about this. First of all, then this uh, kind of information is uh, extracted from the ice corings uh, in the Blostock in the, the Antarctica and then uh, in Greenland. Right. It's all of the information that they extracted was on this graph. What you would see is that the temperatures increase or decrease somewhere typically about 800 years before this carbon dioxide changes. Right. And what that and what that means is the carbon dioxide does not drive the change. It is the response from the temperature change have been on committees as recently as uh, uh, is this spring, spring of 2022, with young people who are doing exactly what you're saying. They've been conditioned uh, to simply recite the data. Mm. They don't even question where the data comes from. And so when I show them a chart like this, their question, it, it, it blows their mind. They're saying, how come we've never seen this before? And where did this come from? And why why didn't we see this? In, you know, when we were in school and, and these are some young people in school, some of them are young people. When I say young, I'm talking about thirties, yeah. you know, maybe forties who are working with the UN. And what they're saying is how come this isn't what the UN climate panel is telling us. And what I can show them is how that data, it, you know, it's like a day on the stock market, John, every day on the stock market, if you go down to a 60 second interval on the stock market, the, the, the market is rising and falling in that 60 seconds. And then you expand that to five minutes and 10 minutes and an hour in a day. If you zero in on 30 of those seconds, what you'll see, it looks like the market is, is in a downtrend, but then you look at the big picture, it's in the downtrend for 30 seconds of an uptrend. And the same thing is happening with, with the CO2 levels yeah. Same thing is, is happening with climate. So the data has been cherry picked and we all know the people that, that did that in our memory. And more than that, it's more than that, it's been manipulated because well, this, this is this it. is this is where I'm I'm going with this because then the next question that these people asked me, they said, Well, what about the, the models? What about the models that show us life is going to end in 12 years and, and yeah, all this? Right. It's so the what a lot of people don't realize the models are based upon what are called feedback loops. And sure. these feedback loops are very imprecise. In other words, if you start, uh, if you begin to change the temperature of the oceans and the salinity of the oceans, their ability to absorb and release heat yeah. begins to change. And those are feedback loops. So here's here's what gets really interesting, John. A model is is supposed to predict what will happen. And if it's a good model, and once that once that time passed, you should be able to go in and plug in the data for what already happened. Yeah, sure. So so the model will show you. And, and right now, even if you plug in the data for, for the recent history of the climate, the models cannot show us what already happened. The I models know, are I flawed. Know. So so this is I, where uh, this is but the, the reason this is important, John, and 2023 is coming up. Uh, very, very soon now, so much of our 
society and social engineering and economy and financial system and the way we travel and what we do to create our, our living is based on a false narrative driven by cherry pick data from right. these from these climate uh, models and the people that are doing it. For example, in the UN, uh, of the the number of scientists that were they are scientists. However, they, there's a conflict of interest. They are working for organizations and institutions yeah. beholden to the funding yeah. that supports them cherry picking the data and the 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 twitter files that are being released are showing that a few years ago there were uh, there was a data dump from wikileaks that was buried by the mainstream media it's called climate gate uh that was showing there's actually a negotiation john that it's like one scientific group would say well i'll, I'll give you so many parts per million oh, yeah. co2 if, <laughs> you know, if, if you if you give me so many you know a fraction of a degree celsius yeah it was a negotiated climate model and and so our lives are being driven if we live in, in the Western world. But more importantly, people are, John, people are suffering. The yeah, people that yeah. can least afford, that, that have yeah. the least bandwidth for the kinds of changes that are being forced, they are suffering unnecessarily, in my opinion, based upon a false climate model that is now creating hate. Right among our young people. Yeah, and and I, I think is. the way that we deal with that is what we're doing right now. You show people, show people the data and let them, let them choose for themselves. And now they'll, they'll begin to question. They'll say, how come we've never seen this before? Yeah. A scientific American came out with a special edition on climate and the, the first article uh, addressed what we're talking about. And the, the, the question that was posed to the, to the writer was what role does the sun play in uh, in the climate change that we're, we're seeing right now. And the answer was that it is so poorly understood that it's not factored into the bottles. <laughs> that, that was, well, just look up into the sky. I, I know, I know. know. I mean, so, what do you think? I received a letter from a really well-known evolutionary biologist right before I left on this trip to the Middle East. And I haven't responded to the letter yet. But the, the question was, why am I not using my voice uh, in my community to talk about global population and the danger that the increasing population poses? Now, this came from a, a really world-renowned evolutionary biologist uh, who, for whatever reason, may not be aware of yeah. the, the recent studies, recent findings, because what... What the data is showing, John, that's even, even more alarming than the growing population is the fact that global fertility is in a steep decline, that uh, nations are, are losing population, but that the, the male sperm count is in yeah. steep decline. And uh, it was in the 1990s, a study was done, well, the first one was done in the 70s, and they, they measure sperm approximately uh, how many million sperm per milliliter. And at that time, the global average is around 90 million sperm per milliliter. In 2021, that number had dropped to 40, uh, 40 million sperm per milliliter. And this is important because that is the cutoff point. That's the threshold that is considered to be where uh, conception becomes difficult. So right. conceptions are becoming more difficult. The global population is now dipped below the replacement rate. 
The replacement right, right. rate, yeah, replacement rate was 2.1 children per woman on planet Earth in average. We're now losing more than we are populating. And the UN says we're going to reach, we'll reach a peak in 2050. And after that, it's it's just a steep decline. So it's yeah. it's the same thing with the climate. The extremists are saying population is going to grow and grow and grow and grow. We're going to run out of everything. This is Paul Ehrlich in the 1968 yeah. Yeah. population sure. bomb. They're not taking into account, they're not factoring in advances in technology and the no. declines in the uh, in the birth rate. So we are actually, uh, and it's becoming more difficult for women to conceive right now. And and what the studies are showing is that even if a conception happens, if the sperm is not healthy and there are things, toxins in the environment like BPA and phthalates, for example, that miscarriages are becoming more, uh, yeah. more, more common now. It takes more attempts to be able for a successful conception uh, and carrying full term. Right. So this is, uh, you know, this is part of the big picture, not hearing many people talk about. And for me, John, what this boils down to, and the reason I think this is important, is these ideas are being used, again, for social engineering to create tremendous suffering with yeah. the people of the world. And I believe... And this could be another topic, and we can close on this one. But I, I believe that we have now everything we need to raise the standard of living for every child, woman, and man on the face of the earth without taxing the resources, uh, and Absolutely. without yeah, and without being concerned about the old model of lack and scarcity and zero sum thinking. And yeah. this is the kind of data that I think we need to share with our communities to help them become aware that, that the, the old story, it's based on false assumptions of, uh, of obsolete science. Yeah, absolutely. I for decades now, starting probably at least 20 or 30 years ago, uh, I've been reading these articles from folks who track these things saying that there's plenty of food for everybody on the planet. Yeah. The problem is a political problem and then the distribution and control and so on. And so, yeah, it's um, it's worthwhile. We should come back and chat about this. We'll we'll do that, John. Well, this was a great conversation. Now, we usually have these when you pick me up from Dulles yeah. Airport. and We drive to Berkeley <laughs> Springs and it's it's uh, you know, it's a, a lengthy drive. I don't think we want to have the conversation be as long as that drive. But this was a good one today. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Greg. Nice to have you back. I look forward and, to that. Uh, for those of you who are watching, we appreciate you being with us and we hope that you'll uh, look at the other kind of things that we do at the Arlington Institute. You can find out all the added information at arlingtoninstitute.org. And uh, you will particularly like a quartet, I'm sure, where Greg and I and a couple of other our friends uh, hold forth for about an hour on some uh, deep and important kind of subject. And uh, so we'll be back in a couple of weeks. And thanks so much. Thanks, Greg. Take care. Thanks so much, John.